If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Unlocked. It's a palindrome week, episode 414. My favorite kind of episode is the palindrome episode. Uh, We've got plenty to cover this week. Uh, My thoughts on After Party, the uh, cool new comedic adventure game coming up from the makers of Oxenfree. We've got Brendan Tyrell emerging from the depths of uh, Aroa to to give us his final take on Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Mm -hmm. We've got... uh, Some PS5 news, which we'll talk about in the context of Xbox Scarlet and what that could mean for the uh, next generation of video games. Big news for Doom Eternal. We'll cover that and plenty more coming up on Podcast Unlocked. I just have to find this thing, the little video graphic. Enjoy. Podcast Unlocked. I think all of that picked up on Mike. That was. I don't think it did. That that was was awful. Yeah, if you heard the bones crunching, that was our senior editor, Brandon Tyrell, who I think is secretly a Terminator, (laughs) just like cracking his endoskeleton. I'm going to be in so many video games next year. Awful. Uh, Gross sound. I've been in a capture bay for like. See a chiropractor. My God. You've also been keeping it pretty dark. Are you secretly like a ghoul or something? It's, it's, have you been in there? It's, uh, I need to get this closer. It is like 90 degrees. It's awful. So I keep keep Uh, the lights off because it helps just a tad. I couldn't tell if it was you. I was like, is that Brandon in there? What's Uh, happening? Ryan McCaffrey here, Brandon Tyrell to my left, to his left, Miranda Sanchez. Hello. And the great Mark Medina to my right today. Just mixing it up a little bit. Taking the Destin chair. Bam. I was saying, we got to do the honorary (laughs) bam. The honorary bam. Uh, So yeah, lots to get to. Brandon, let's start. With Ghost Recon Breakpoint, this—I mean, this is one of the major fall releases. It, it's uh, it's already here. It kind of—that's what like I hear. It snuck up a little bit. Yeah, they, that's that's the weird thing. They did the they did the early access sort of if you buy the premium version or or the um, the next level up version, uh, you get to play it. It was something crazy, like four days early. Yeah, October I, I, first. Yeah, I'm not a fan just in general of the pay more to play early thing, but yeah. please continue. I don't really here care if that's how you want to spend your money, but I, mean, it, I guess it does, it doesn't really affect it does make the job harder for the review. Yeah. Um, yeah. Remember when Anthem came out like six times? 
Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. do, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, so Ghost Recon, it is, uh, it is right in line with what Ubisoft has been doing the last couple years. What is that? The mean? last decade, really. <laughs> they... Uh, they Fun have, co-op open world. That sounded like a game that I don't really want to play. Though I do like those things. <laughs> they, they have their two arenas, right? They have their competitive um, sort of game as service with For Honor and Rainbow Six. And yeah. then mm-hmm. by and large, their really other major uh, sort of tentpole is the open world game that we've played in The Division and now Ghost Recon and Assassin's Creed. And there's another one. But at least Assassin's but, yeah. has pivoted yeah. to like becoming yeah. an open world role playing. That so that, was like so the that's most the thing. Is inter- sorry, sorry, that was like the most interesting Ubisoft game I've seen in a long time that I actually wanted to play, and I did play. I, I sorry, re- which one? Odyssey. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Oh, what a game! I reviewed yeah. it, gave it a nine point two. I think it's the best game in the series because it does what it wants to do really, really well, which is be an open world RPG with a ton of personality. But how about Ghost Recon? Ghost Recon is an open world RPG that doesn't really know what it's doing. The Ghost Recon series has always been about that sort of like stealth tactical play. Um, And here they really sort of, which admittedly can be fun. If you enjoy the the Ubisoft open world experience, Mm. that's Ghost Recon. Like you're you're lots of outposts to drop, lots of collectible, so many collectibles to find. Um, Their open worlds are always beautiful. Always, always beautiful. The lighting's on point. It just... It's in this weird mix between a Ghost Recon game and a Division game mm-hmm. with elements of all their other series thrown in. Mm. It really seemed like they didn't really know how to make it unique and give like, it its own personality. Does it just feel like it's it was it's like focus test of the game? Is <laughs> it sort of is. Like I, I said in my review in progress um, that it feels like the Ubisoft sampler platter. Mm. <laughs> there, there really is just like elements from every single game in here. Right. And not that that's a that bad do. thing per se. The elements themselves are are fine. I mean, there's been a, a huge uproar online about the microtransactions, which I don't particularly feel are, are particularly gross or predatory. I know there's a lot of concern with like, well, they make the game artificially grindy and then give you like battle passes. The, the and time it's a, saver. It's the same conversation we had with Assassin's Creed Odyssey as well. Right. I don't feel like you really need time savers, but if you're you know, a mother of three or a father of three and you only play for two hours after work, two nights a week, like maybe that's something you're interested yeah. in. And if that's how you want to spend your money, like early access, totally fine mm-hmm. with it. As long as they don't penalize the rest of the players. Exactly. Uh, which I don't I don't feel that they do. There are things that you can only buy with stuff, but like it's 2019. That's most of the games out now. Um, the story itself is fine. It is a serviceable story. John Bernthal was obviously the big marketing push this time around. Yeah. And if you've seen or know who John Bernthal is, he plays John Bernthal I mean, really yeah, well. He, he we, we had, yeah, Mark and I had gotten the vibe, at least, and I, at least I was very vocal about it because I did the preview, that the story was not nonsensibly bad. It is, like, it is fine. Like, fine? It, okay. it is one of those Tom Clancy's. We had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It's a Tom Clancy ripped from the headlines um, you know, fear of surveillance and artificial intelligence and drones and yeah, yeah. the future of warfare and terrorism and warfare sort of merging together. It's fine. Like sounds very generic. Yeah, it is yeah. so it is so like forgettable, especially because the mission structure of the game is go press this button or find this person or kill this person at outpost A. You go and get intel and discover clues and then you go to B and then C and then you finally meet up at D and and do the thing that you're supposed to be doing, and then you go get your cutscene. But in the half hour to hour 
between the two cutscenes, I'm like, yeah, wait, who is this person again? <laughs> this is the CEO of the, the <laughs> tech company, not the head programmer. And it, it's just, it's really forgettable. Bernthal really is the best part, but he's used sparingly. Yeah. He, yeah. he usually comes in in like flashback cutscenes. I mean, we were, yeah. we were talking yeah. in, in the office that even, we kind of got into this conversation about, you know, how you feel about the game and how, you know, it, I think we were both on the same page that Clancy games, when they first came around on the original Xbox, yeah. really innovated in, in the gameplay space. Like they were really known for, for pushing things. I mean, Splinter Cell pushed into, you know, did stealth so well and pushed technology in the form of yeah. the lighting was incredible. And, and the original Ghost Recon was this just sprawling outdoor one shot, one kill game and Rainbow Six. And was that's this sort of what they're selling. Planning, yeah. You know, close quarter thing. And, uh, but this, the stories in Ghost Re in, even in all the Clancy games, pretty much always been it's, it's super forgettable. It's even military warfare, <laughs> like even Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, one of my favorite games of all time. And I think absolutely the best Clancy game ever made. I, I can't even tell you what the story. It was the same oh. exactly yeah. you just said. Well, I mean, Remember, it, division was kind of the same. Yeah. Deal. Was, oh, yeah. When H one N one was like a big deal, and so it was like Black Friday and this disease. You yeah. Know. <laughs> I forgot about H one N one. I know. Uh, yeah, and I mean, even if you look at the Clancy films, right? Like the Jack Ryan series, right. they're again they're ripped from the headlines. Like there's a, a terrorist that brought a nuke onto American soil, or there's an assassination plot against the president. Doesn't matter who's playing Jack Ryan, it's you you kinda get it, right? Yeah. Same like a Bond movie. I really enjoy Bond movies, but it doesn't really matter. Like we we know what's gonna happen, right? I just wanna see the cool spy stuff. Yeah, that's but pretty I much it. But so the the problem with Ghost Recon is it's just it doesn't I feel like it never really finds a direction that it wants to go. Mm. Um or if it did, it was mandated that it brings in all these other elements because you have the games of service elements in there mm. with raids, which the entire game, you're told to get to gear score 150. There is gear score now, just like an MMO and like Division. Or yeah. Destiny, yeah. Or Destiny, yeah. And so you get to gear score 150 and you're like, all right, time to drop this big robot thing. Basically a Metal Gear, I imagine. But the raid's not out yet. So you just get there and nothing happens. Yeah. And I'm fine oh. with that, right? Like, okay, a game as a service, I, I understand. Thank you. This is post-launch content. But the entire game, they're telling you about raids and... There's the NPC is like, come talk to me when you're ready to join the raid. And I was like, I'm ready to join the raid. You, you get <laughs> to the oh, end of the on. rainbow and, and there's no on. gold. There. And, and they're like, we're not ready. They're <laughs> like, okay, here's the deal. Bad stuff is happening. Get out there and good luck, soldier. And then it's just like, wait, like wait, wait for <laughs> it to come out. Mm. Um, the PvP mode is super forgettable. It is two modes. One is deathmatch. One is basically sabotage. It's like Counter Strike. Yeah, plant, mm. plant yeah. defend. I, I don't know. It's all over the place. It really, it really like pulls in elements from everything to see what sticks, but it loses the element it, that made it really good in the first is place. Is it fair to call it a jack of all trades, master of none? Jack Ryan of all trades. Oh, hey. uh, yeah, nailed it. Um, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean that's that would be a fair assessment. I remember I you, we were talking the other day. You were saying that it's like it's super weird that the game has like a, a so like in division. You have a gear score, you get stronger. That's mm -hmm. how it works. Where in this one, you have a gear score, you get stronger. But everything's still just one hit kill if you get him to the head. Well, <laughs> so I, I am playing on default difficulties, and I'm, I'm not sure if that is an element of the default difficulty. I don't think it is. I think they're keeping that in there because they're still playing to that fantasy of the one shot, mm -hmm. one kill. If you yeah. are skillful enough and you are 
enough of a gun artist, really, you can you can kill a person when one headshot. And like it's ridiculous. The very opening hour of the game, they throw you against like end game level guys mm-hmm. and you're supposed to be afraid and run away. But I had an assault rifle and just headshotted seven of <laughs> them and I was like, oh, okay. Well that yeah. that solves that. So the majority of the game is really just go to an outpost, hide mark it all up, and then go in and headshot, 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 headshot. So, Did you play on guided mode? or? or I did play on guided mode. There is an optional like intel mode where you're mm-hmm. supposed to discover clues that yeah, lead I liked you to that the next when we thing. Played. That's, how, that's how we played it. Yeah. And, and that's that's cool, not for a review, but that's sure, that's sure. cool. Like I I don't have any illusions that, uh, that I would have been able to finish the review at a decent pace had no. I been having to go around and find clues and not we, have waypoints. We played for like what? Four hours. I think we did like one or two missions. Yeah, because <laughs> it, yeah. it does take a lot long. You have to question people and do stuff like that. But here's what I think is it really like I get a little bit tedious after a while too. It's very tedious, oh. and and that's what's crazy is like the story is weak up front just because you're introduced to a dozen different characters that all have some weird stake in this sort of tech utopia that's gone mm-hmm. wrong. Um, so the story's weak up front, but I actually really enjoyed the gameplay up front because it's a Ubisoft open world game. Sure. And then there's this like great game, good gameplay, sort of weak story. And then towards the end of the game, the balance shifts and the story starts ramping up and picking up. But by then the gameplay is so just overdone. You've, you've done the yeah, same thing. I've, I've done time. it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'd like to ask you is how do you feel? Cause I know this is this is a different game, and Ubisoft's been trying to very much position it as this is not Wildlands Two, but we've had two Ghost Recons in this kind of mold now. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to see Ghost Recon try to reinvent itself in the next generation, or do you think that there's the, the, the there's more to be uh, done in with this style of of game that they're doing now? I don't. <sighs> It's a great question, and the answer is, at this point, I'm not sure. Yes, obviously, I would like to see them innovate. Um, It's weird because Breakpoint really doesn't have its own identity in that it's supposed to be this sneaky, tactical game, and yet you're encouraged encouraged in the menus to play it in Mm co-op. So, I mean, it's it's weird because it is optimized for co-op, and then what happens is... How many times are you going to get four players to uh, to all crouch down, mark their targets, and snipe them all at the same time? Which you can do, and when it happens, it's amazing. Yeah, we got, we well, they, got, they have the sync shot. They have the yeah. sync shot, yeah. And you can actually, there are drones now that you can throw out, and they sync up for you if you're playing alone. So you can actually take down four oh, guys cool. at the same time. All that stuff is really cool, but the majority of it is just like, oh, my buddy's in a helicopter. He's just going to rain death down on this base, and I'm going to run in and press the button. So I, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I think... Ghost Recon should innovate mm. next time. I think this what they're what they've presented with Breakpoint has already been done, really with the division and Far Cry. Yeah, and, and and I think for me that's again I haven't played nearly as much. You ended up you, you're about forty hours. Yeah, I'm I'm well. I finished the story after about forty hours. Okay, I've, I've put several more in on yeah. PvP just to do my due diligence. Mm. But, but it, yeah, so I think for me as somebody who I mean I've been a fan of the Clancy games again since the original Xbox when we were just living, sleeping, eating, breathing them all. Mm-hmm. And they've always had their own very distinct identity, you know, with Splinter Cell and I said Ghost Recon with the just, you know, quiet outdoor shoot a guy from a mile away it's, thing. It, it was Ubisoft's like stealth action game. Right. And mm-hmm. and I feel like I think that's what frustrates me about Breakpoint. It, not that it's a bad game and we're not yeah. saying that at all, but that it just 
it sort of has it doesn't have a distinct identity anymore yeah. the way that I mean Splinter Cell does, but Splinter Cell's been out of the game for now. We're going on six years without Splinter Cell. Rainbow Six, to its credit, absolutely has an identity, and Siege has been strong for yeah. its now it's going on five years. Uh division. I guess there's an identity there. I mean, it's 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 their prototypical game as service game. It's, it's, yeah, it's their it's answer their to Destiny. MMO. But yeah, yeah. I, I, so that's for me. I I am hoping that in the next generation, which we're going to talk more about in a couple minutes, that that Ghost Recon does <clears throat> throw all this out and reinvent itself and find find and really grab onto a distinct identity. I'm not sure what that niche is though right now actually and maybe maybe they're not banking on this being that tactical stealth espionage game uh that it's sort of been known as because maybe we're going to get a new splinter cell next gen i don't I hope I don't, so i don't know um but i have no idea where the series goes from here because it's it it overlaps with so many other elements of all their other games that it, it just ends up being okay yeah all right. Well, there it is. And your final review, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday, this video. You should be seeing or listening to this yeah, by the end of the day on Tuesday. So your so final review will go up Wednesday. Wednesday. Probably okay. late afternoon or early evening. Got to edit the video, the yeah, whole production a, thing. Like once I, once I have my opinion and everything is written and it, the score is down, then the actual work starts and we have to do all the capture and oh, then yeah. the video gets edited. So it's a bit of a production, but... Uh, look for it late Wednesday. Fantastic. All right. Uh, real quick, I just want to mention, I went and played After Party, mm -hmm. uh, which is completely different than <laughs> Ghost Recon in every way. That's what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, if you, it's from Night School Studio, the makers of Oxenfree. So if you played Oxenfree, you're going to be right at home here. It is an uh, adventure game about two college-age friends who find themselves, they figure out that they're dead and in hell, and they they're like, well, they get they've basically learned that they if they can outdrink Satan in a, 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 at bars, they can escape hell and be alive again. So you don't know why they died, how they died. Uh, I played the first about two hours and really had a good time with it. It gave me a lot of old school Lucas Arts adventure yeah. game vibes. Yeah. Now, granted, it's not at all. There are no object-based puzzles to solve. It's just it's all dialogue, it's similar to how Oxenfree was, but hmm. the sort of the tone, the style, the even the, like the fact that you're just sort of more or less on a 2D plane, right. like it's there's a lot of classic LucasArts elements to it. Um, so yeah, I, I had a really good time with it. I think, it, and that that's again launching into Game Pass at the end of the month. So it's another one to that's keep awesome. on your great, radar. Uh, great Halloween game if you're not looking for something spooky. Yes, yeah, and that style is really cool too. Yeah, it's not your traditional Old Testament fire and brimstone. No, it's, it is super mm -hmm. colorful and kind of dark. And it it's kind of like the art style is a little. Speaking of LucasArts, I feel like a little reminiscent of Grim Fandango. Actually, mm. you know, I know both dealt with kind of the the land of the dead. Sure. The, but yeah, even the the sort of color and and style of it is in the same way too. So, uh, speaking of after party. IGN Unfiltered returns today, actually, with, thank you, with, uh, we're in the new set right right behind us here, the bar arcade setup, shooting there with, there's a working tap, there's, we had beers, I mean, and it's, it's so uh, perfect with it's, after party. I know, who, this. it turns out Unfiltered <laughs> was a very prescient name, like it was, uh, really worked out well, <laughs> just took us a while to find the right set, but, right. Uh, and, and Sean Crankle of Night School Studio, creator of Oxenfree and After Party, is, uh, is my guest. The, the fact that the unfiltered interview and 
the preview embargo for that actually worked out to be a freak coincidence. Did not mm. plan it that way. But yeah, Sean came in a couple weeks ago. We had a great time. Uh, his career is really interesting. Mm. He got his start working at a uh, on an on an Aaron Spelling teenage soap opera huh. in, in the late nineties. Did he meet Tori Spelling? <laughs> Just you'll have to listen to the interview to find out. <laughs> and yeah, ended up working for Disney and had this. He was doing this weird. Uh, you got to hear the description of this platformer that that Microsoft had greenlit when he was working at Universal. Yeah, he's he's had quite an interesting ride. So uh, I encourage you to check out Unfiltered. I guess I'll tr- I'll throw the audio on the end of this episode, which I've been doing. But I, please go check out the video because it really looks yeah. great. The new set looks really yeah, cool. it looks looks and really new good. Logo. So. The new logo looks awesome. Yeah. We we even got motion graphics of like mm-hmm. oh it's it's I, a real thing. Now. It's a real thing, <laughs> and not just like my little like backroom garage yeah. pet project you stopped filming it on a camcorder <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly we're on a real camera now not an iphone so please check that out that's the end of my shameless self-promotion now let's talk about so we got it's, uh, we're about 20 something minutes into the show yeah that was a long second i know we there was a lot of ground to cover with ghost recon and poor miranda and mark have been sitting there patiently waiting oh good <laughs> Because let's talk about something we can all talk about, which is the next generation of consoles. They're coming. They're coming. Whether next. you want them to or not. But basically, I mean, we are, so it's, it's October 8th right yep. now. We are effectively T-minus either 13 months or 12 months, probably, like Ooh. right about yeah. there. Yeah. 12 to 13 months. Probably around 13. I imagine November, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, it was PS4 was the 15th of November and Xbox One was the 27th. Yeah, one week later. Exactly. Um, so they're coming. And I wanted to talk about these new PS5 details from Wired. And if you're wondering why are you bringing that up on an Xbox podcast, is because I want to talk about them in the context of Xbox and Scarlet and where mm-hmm. we're going here. So uh, Wired got uh, another scoop here. From Mark Cerny and the on PlayStation Five, it was first of all they confirmed that it's called the PlayStation Five. Duh, shocker! <laughs> with, with a late twenty twenty, surprising no. Yeah, uh, and that's it. That's it. That's all they got. No, it's they've got plenty more than that. So the controller for PlayStation Five, presumably, will be called the DualShock Five. Will have haptic feedback, which Mark Cerny describes as quote highly programmable. Uh, voice coil actuators located in the left and right grips of the controller, adaptive triggers that offer different levels of resistance with higher tension for things like pulling a bowstring in a game uh, versus a a machine gun trigger, USB-C charging with a higher capacity battery, uh, and then the weight of the controller is said to be lighter than an Xbox One controller that has its batteries in it. Mm-hmm. So still, which the DualShock 4 now is very light compared mm-hmm. to the, uh, which, I mean, I like the kind of heft. I like a little, I mean, there's too much, but yeah. I, for me, the, I don't know, I, I like the Xbox One controller, but. I think we can all say, probably, I'm assuming, can all say we like the Xbox One controller better than the PC. I think it's no. the. I no. hate no. using the, the DualShock. Best I, think, controller. I think we've I talked it. about this before. Yeah. I think I like so, too. The, I like let's, the DualShock let's not go down better. this road. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Xbox I, One controller is currently the best controller the best. ever made. I think the Nintendo Pro controller is the best controller. Ooh, okay. I mean, wow. it's a good, it it's a a good, good controller. controller. It's a good controller. The triggers, though, are oh, not comparable yeah. to the Xbox. It's not, it's not made for shit. No. I have a lot of problems, and a lot of them come down <laughs> to my hands being very small, and so... 
Anyway, Xbox yeah. is great. So, uh, plus hard, the the ray tracing that had mm-hmm. previously been confirmed, Mark Cerny clarifying that is at the hardware level. That's not mm-hmm. going to be a software trick. That is okay. in the GPU, which is great news. And then on the storage side, 100 gigabyte Blu-ray optical disc. So I think that's the dual layer Blu-ray, mm-hmm. if I memory mm-hmm. serves. Uh, and it will, the optical drive, it will have an optical drive that will play 4K Blu-rays, which of course... The yeah, Xbox the One S and X have been doing for for years. Yeah, I'd be shocked if that wasn't. It's, a thing, it's right? so funny yeah. that we're just we're actually still going to get games on multiple discs next generation yep. anyway Absolutely. because there are already games over 100 gigs. Yeah, Gears Five, Gears Five, Forza uh, Seven, and all, yeah. a lot of the big ones now. Game installation from discs is mandatory because of the difference in speed between the consoles. In other words, they're not saying you have to get a disc. It's just installation as it is now. Mm-hmm. You can't just play a game off of a disc, is right. what that's saying. Um, installations will now be more customizable, with Cerny saying players could choose just to install a multiplayer mode or allowing you to delete a campaign portion once you've finished it to free up space for other games, which is clever. That's cool. I like that. So, you yeah. know, if you're a Call of Duty, if you're, if you're just into multiplayer in Call of Duty and next fall you don't care about Black Ops 5's campaign, mm-hmm. looks like on PS5 you can choose to just not install the campaign. Yeah, PC's been doing that for a while to yeah. be able to launch just straight into whatever you want or having just certain things install so it's really cool that that's coming first the dual shock now the pc i know your allegiance is i'm all over i'm all over the place mark's a a multi-platform man man. so let's talk about this stuff so with the controller yeah the switch two and a half almost three years ago did hd rumble Mm -hmm. there we got one two switch as a launch game Almost nobody else has done anything with HD Rumble, and now even Nintendo, the Switch Lite doesn't have HD Rumble in it. The haptic, the haptic feedback stuff that PS Five, the DualShock Five is going to do. Xbox has implemented that in day one on Mm -hmm. the Xbox One controller, and six years ago, and outside of Fort, the Forza games. not you can count the number of other games that have used the haptic trigger feedback on one hand. So it's also very telling that in that article they said we got to test out the haptic with GT Sport. So it's like another race, yeah, another racing you know? race, yeah. acceleration, like the Astrobot or something. That's uh, what they hacked together for this. Yeah, demo. They, no, sorry, I don't mean hacked together in like. No, I'm just saying way, that they didn't just play a racing game. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, if you've ever played Forza with it, like. It, it actually, the haptic stuff's really cool. That's my point is that just nobody's used it. It is cool. Mm-hmm. Like when you, if you slam on the brakes in Forza, like think about when you slam on the brakes in your car, which is hopefully not often, but you can feel the brakes grab. Yeah. Clamp when, down, yeah. yeah. Right, and, right. and that's what, you get that same sensation when you slam on the brake with that haptic trigger on, in a Forza game. But um, So yeah, so the, the DualShock 5 doing these things that, that other controllers have done, uh, the question becomes, and I think it's a key question for the for the implementation of all this stuff, will Xbox also do these things in its ne- new controller? Because we do know that current controllers on Xbox will be compatible. So how far how far will Microsoft go in in pushing a, you know new stuff into the into the Scarlet default controller? Yeah, it's it's hard to know the 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 bowstring that stuff seems weird. And breakable. Um, 
But it's really hard with controllers, right? Because controllers are just so good nowadays. That yeah. it's, it's really hard to be like, here's the new controller and, and just be blown away. because That's the thing, know. like with the Elite 2, right? Like mm-hmm. that came out and like, wow, that's a really cool well, controller. It's coming, it's out, yeah. it's coming well, yeah, in yeah, one yeah, I'm sorry, the, one an- the announcement came great. out. Yeah. 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 Feels really, really good. But again, like the, the, the step up from the Elite 1 to the Elite 2 was not as big as I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. Um, so yeah, I think you nailed it on the head, man. Like, I'm also not surprised to see them talk about the controller so much. If anybody remembers the PlayStation reveal from February of 2013, they didn't even show the console at that reveal. They uh, only yeah. showed the controller. Don't remember. Um, there's a good chance that it's just because the console wasn't ready to be shown. Yeah. But that's where you had the Mark Cerny. Like, he, they were very much just like, "Here's our new controller." I, I don't want to say any of this is like gimmicks. Obviously, HD Rumble like is something that was here and then is gone. But it's like it's pretty funny that it's like they're talking about devs will be able to do this and they'll be able to do that with the controller. But that kind of thing happened with the touchpad on mm. the, on the DualShock four. And that got abandoned fairly quickly. It's like, basically just a button. It's, it's just, a it's, button. it's the select. It's, button. it's the exact same as that haptic feedback, right? Like right. you could have done the, the variable draw uh, strength on a bow with mm-hmm. the Xbox controller in Tomb Raider. But they didn't, right? So it's well, it's, it's see, up to the developers. Yeah, and you see that stuff at launch. I remember playing like Infamous, and it was like open this door. It was like sliding the thing. Yeah, and it, like, it, it just completely yeah. went away. Uh, the only time you ever see it now is like I remember like even in Odyssey is if you open the map and you move the like it'll move your map. Oh, I did Like who wants to I didn't do that? And then all of a sudden it weirdly came back in Days Gone, like to do all the menus with oh. the swipe. But then you figure out it's because Days Gone been in development since like 2014. <laughs> yeah. so, it's also a first party. Someone, someone's got to use it first party, right? Right. Yeah. And, it's first and, party. and I imagine like a lot of your launch tiles, the mandates for what tiles, <clears throat> launch yeah. titles, the mandates for, you know. It'll be if, like, please use. Yeah. It's like, also, hey, it's like, we're really trying to showcase this. A lot yeah. of big multi-platform games that can't do that because like yeah. how are we going to translate to that to Xbox mm-hmm. or PC? Yeah. You yeah. don't. Yeah. That's a great point. I'm very excited for USB-C. That's very cool. I'm glad because I like the broken. Char- I I like chargers that you don't have to. You, it doesn't matter what way you plug it in. Like the it's lightning simple. port, there is no amazing. upside down. We're exactly. moving there is further no away down. from USB. <laughs> yes, because it's like even still, it's like you plug in a, a PS4 and Xbox controller, and I always feel like I'm breaking it. If and you're like, wait, am I doing to, this the right to way? This, and you're like, okay. No. To this day, if I if I plug in a USB cable Micro, the, yeah. the right way the right way in the first time and don't have to flip it over right i feel like i've won the lottery the, like, rest, the, rest, the rest of your it day just, is smooth sailing so, i actually I, charges faster. I threw one yeah, away yesterday cool. because it broke in my xbox one controller oh my really? god yeah it's just it had been sitting on my desk um with the thing plugged into it um the dongle and then i guess it was just had pressure applied on it on one side so when i pulled it out it was it was like at an angle mm. and it, it stopped charging which is why well, I asked you if I could borrow yours yesterday. Have they but confirmed Scarlet's controller is going to be USB C? Like you almost have to not that it's not that going. particular detail, yeah. but um, but that you, you get you're getting towards what I wanted to kind of talk oh, about here was, before. you know, we we know that the Elite Series Two is coming in one month and it is going to be compatible with the Scarlet. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure the whatever the pack-in controller standard controller is for Scarlet. Well, it's not going to be Elite Series 2 good because they're not going to just turn around and do an Elite Series 3 in a, in a year from now, I don't, I don't think. think. No, I took this so long to get this one. Right. So, you know, it's going to be some level below the Elite Series 2, I would imagine. But So that's what's leading me to call into question. Like, I wonder if, it's, if the, the Scarlet 
controller will have the stuff that Sony's doing, or if it's going to be more or less just a, a, a maybe a slight ergonomic iteration on what well, we have now. Going down the list, is there anything in the DualShock, the upcoming DualShock, that isn't covered by the Elite? Because I have to imagine... Does the Elite have a speaker? Like, Because so that's, that's not like no. an Xbox thing, right? That's the only thing that I think the DualShock oh, does speaker. particularly better than the Xbox One is Wait, include you, that speaker. You guys like the speaker on your DualShock? Yeah. Oh, I can oh, turn no. that off. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't Dude, turn it off. I think, it's, I think it's when it's used <laughs> really well, I think when it's used really well in a game, like, it is amazing. Like, PT, that's... I think the Terrifying. the only in, the one it's, interesting mm-hmm. implementation of it I've seen is uh, memory serves in GTA Five, it uh, the police radio will, uh, will come the scanner yeah yeah will will pipe out over that like I think if you're if you're if you've uh, hijacked a, a a squad car I think the I don't remember it's, that. It's interesting. I just forget about it, and there's no notifications like, hey, this is going to make these noises yeah. just so yeah. you know. <laughs> there's, and then like, I'm that. playing in the dark, and it's quiet. And, and there's like this noise happening. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's turned off because I remember I was playing something. I don't remember what it was. And all of a sudden, like my desk mate, uh, Pat, like oh. tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, hey, your controller is like doing some crazy. I've heard, like, I've oh, heard, I didn't even yeah. know. I've heard that from Janet too. I'm just like, hey, Janet, your controller is a little Yeah. Loud. Well, and it's the same thing at home. Like uh, my wife sits five feet from me. Mm. And so if she's watching TV and I'm just sitting there with headphones on playing a game and it's just like, right, you know, there's death training. The baby's going to cry. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited like, to hear the BB. I'll turn it on just to hear it. BB. But for the most part, it's like, yeah. Eh. Yeah. I, I think, I think like a, a third speaker, right? If you imagine left, right. And then the one on your controller, you can do all kinds of really cool and stuff. The secret thing's fine. Yeah, um, I would like I would like to see it on the next. In the wired report, there was the thing about a microphone potentially in the controller. It was unconfirmed, but there was right. a hole that looked like it was a microphone. Yeah, I just want the thirty-five millimeter. Just continue to use that. Oh right. Oh, oh three point five. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, three point five millimeter. Thirty-five. Yeah. Mi- the headphone <laughs> jack. Yeah. I just want to jam yeah, it in yeah, there. The, but the um, fact that you can just plug a headphone jack into a controller, like well, Xbox, you can do that on the Xbox, the right? Yeah. But yeah. not the first gen. And right. then they were like, that that's a yeah, great idea. Right. So that's the thing. It's like that you had to buy that adapter. One, one of many mistakes from the Xbox One launch era was having the proprietary. But most people don't even remember it. Like they rectified that. Quick, pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the thing. It's uh, you know, and the now the Elite Series One did have, and I guess the Series Two, it does have the adjustable triggers where you yeah. can set like yeah. hair the, trigger the versus full yeah. press. Really great for, but I don't think it can do. I guess, and I think I think haptic does allow for the tension as well. So, I mean, I, if if the default Scarlet controller is going to match the DualShock Five. It's gonna have to borrow some stuff from the hundred and eighty dollar sure. uh, uh, Elite Series Two. So that's what I'm curious of is is uh, what you know how much of an upgrade is the Scarlet controller going to be off of the forward compatible Xbox One controllers right. that we that we already have. I mean, it it is a great controller, and the thing is, if they don't implement similar or identical stuff that DualShock 5 is doing, we can probably, again, just like this generation, count on very few games and almost no third-party games right. implementing any of the uh, any of those features. So it's feel like it's either Sony and Microsoft both have to do it or else nobody, gamers will not really benefit on a, on a wide level. It sounds kind of nuts. It makes me wonder if controllers are going to stay $65. No way. Like, they're, they're sounding... The the Pro Controller seventy. Tech-wise. Every generation, the controllers have gone up in price. The um, 
the 360 controllers were 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Xbox One controllers were 60 bucks. And I have zero doubt that DualShock 5 and whatever Scarlet's controller are going to be 70 bucks. Where the Pro controller is. And to be, to be fair, they are, they are better every generation. Sure. They have more and more stuff. Like if you compare a, an Xbox One controller to a 360, like you can see oh, yeah. and feel a, a, a difference. What's the launch date on the Elite 2? Uh, November 4th. Okay. I just looked this up today. Yeah, so... So you, you essentially are getting the Elite 2 a year before next gen comes out. Yes. Roughly. Part of me wonders if we should spare a thought for the idea that they just continue to move forward with their basic standard level Xbox One controller and then let the Elite 2 be what it is. Because if you buy an Elite 2 in November and an Xbox 2 or an Xbox in November 2020, like how much life are you getting out of that before you have another controller? I mean, that's a fair question. Although I would say that the power users that are going to be spending $180 like us probably don't care are going to, yeah, are not going to be bothered by that. I have so many games to play in between (laughs) now and then that I would rather have that. (laughs) I don't, since I've been using my elite, like I don't like using other controllers. I'm with you. I love my elite so much. Even my, the a button on my elite is like not great anymore. Like it's sort of (laughs) sticky, but I still like, I just don't, I will just keep using it because yeah. I'd like it so much more than the regular controller. We're, we're definitely in the phase where oh. hardware is going to start being like kind of strange. I've had a few people, you were one of them. Are you getting that Death Stranding PS4? And, <laughs> and there's a Last of Us PS4, I, I assume. And and like things are going to come out and it's like it's always going to be weird now that these like basically have release dates. And so it's like the same with like controllers and it's like, do I want to, cause you, I, I'm the same way. Like my DualShock 4 is filling kind of like, it's doing the same where when I, when I click it, it feels squishy. Yeah. And I'm like, I think I need to just go buy a new one. And unless there's like a good Black Friday deal or something, yeah. cause I can wait till <laughs> there. It usually is. Uh, which there usually is. Um, it's kind of like, man, what's the, what's the point? Like it's, yeah. it's already getting, I, I know a year is a long time. It's like, sure. Unless you're a big collector or something like getting these these, especially these elite editions and just yeah. nicer upgrades for, or like special models of consoles. Like it's just weird right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they move from a functional sort of piece of technology to a it's collector's, collector's item. A collector's yeah. item yeah. that you show well, off. And I, I t- fully intend on selling. Like I have an Xbox One X, I have a PS, I have two PS4s. And my intention is to just sell everything because everything should be backwards compatible. Mm-hmm. Should be. Um, yeah. And oh. so, and I have to buy like, uh, so Two much, of everything. So much stuff. Yeah. Two yeah, of everything. I don't, I don't, so we were talking about this before the show, but as it stands right now, like I have zero incentive to buy the PS5 at launch other than for work purposes. Mm-hmm. I and agree. I think I'm probably going to hold off because I'm obviously going to play all my third-party stuff on the Xbox or on PC. So I don't really have a reason at this point to like jump on the PS5. And of course, we're still early in this whole Yeah, yeah we didn't even know any of the launch titles. It goes without anything. saying that we don't know what the lineup's going to be. But also we were saying, it's like, I don't have anything that I can think of off the top of my head as far as Sony IPs go that would entice me to buy at launch anyway. Right. You, you'll likely get... No, la- obviously on the show, but you know. <laughs> you'll likely get The Last of Us 2 uh, Game of the Year edition. You'll mm-hmm. get Ghost of Tsushima cross-generational version, I imagine, if it launches as well. Good chance. Um, well, and then you're looking forward to, like like we were saying, Spider-Man 2 and... We're down the road. We're at this weird point with Sony, though, where a lot of their bigger games are already out. Like yeah. The ones that they're hyping, the ones we were excited sure. for, they're out or they're out early next year. Mm-hmm. So this is... Which is exciting for us because now it's like Microsoft's turn in the spotlight because yeah. like, we've got all this cool stuff coming out and I'm very excited for it. And uh, I'm just yeah, and that's you know we'll we'll be well, obviously we're going to talk so much more about launch lineups over the coming year. Oh, for but sure. but yeah, we, that's what we were saying is like you know trying to f- 
piece together like, all right, well, what might the PS5 launch lineup look like? And we figure both of these consoles are almost certainly going to be at least $500. Mm-hmm. So I personally yeah. am only probably, because I also need to get a 4K, I need, I want to really, really want to get a 4K TV. Me too. But, and I want to, you know, I don't want to just get like the $300. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like I, I mean, I, it's you know, a good investment. I'm, right. I want to, I'm going to have to mount it on the wall. Like I want to get a nice one that's going to last. Like I've had my current Panasonic Plasma for eight, like this entire generation, and it's been great. So, you know, I want to, I'm probably only going to do one console at launch. And for me, it's going to be Xbox and not just because a few reasons. One, if there's any power discrepancy at all this time between the two of them, my, my money is on the Xbox being slightly more powerful because I think Microsoft is just determined not to lose that lose battle that ever again. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's that number one. Number two, the software, the, the, the launch title, we know for a fact Halo Infinite is a day one launch title. Mm-hmm. And if it's amazing, which we all want it to be, and what they've shown so far looks great, then, you know, for the people that will come into next holiday on the fence, like, all right, I think I want to upgrade to one of these. Which one should I go with? Like, you know, because, hey, people went from PS2 to largely 360 and then people a lot of people went you know again kind of in the mass from 360 to ps4 Mm -hmm. so it's like all right so this time you've got that choice if they're the same price they're pretty similar power halo is a potentially awesome system selling day one game that that sony's i mean we're struggling to figure out what day one launch killer kind of game they might have so there's a major potential plus Game Pass, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Yeah. Unless Sony, I mean, they they sh- they damn well should, if it's if they're smart, announce something similar to launch into PS5 if not sooner. But Game Pass and Halo Infinite is a and 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 the and hopefully probably the horsepower parity or advantage is going to be a, making a pretty nice case for Microsoft come fall 2020. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a commercial. I think it was during Sunday Football. One of the games. For PlayStation Now, which I hadn't seen in a long yeah. time. That's because they just changed it a bunch. Did they that's really? right. Oh, they're trying to they push it. They changed the yeah. price. Well, yeah, okay. So th- that's actually true. They just changed the price. The only other change is that they put a bunch of other games. They on. added yeah, some games that'll change. be on there temporarily. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's, anyway. That was my biggest quote. We have a huge slack there going on. It was like questions we want answered from just because PlayStation 5 day. And I was like... I was like, they they really got to figure out this like answer to Game Pass yeah. eventually. PlayStation Now still not it. Like even though it's only ten dollars, it's ten dollars for like yeah, you get God of War and, and Uncharted, but like that's only till January, and it's yeah. not day and date. Like I I was scrolling through the comments earlier for the PS5 announcement, and people were saying that it's like. I, I was reminded that like Outer Worlds is like a Game Pass launch title, launching right like, into oh, Game. Oh man, I totally forgot it's about that. So good, I totally forgot that. Like, I don't have to buy Outer Worlds. Like, I just yeah. played on Game Pass. Well, what's crazy is it's not just like it's third party stuff as well. I mean, Outer Worlds is a third party game, yeah. technically, sort of. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like Outer Outer Wilds, just just sense of theme. That was that was launched as well. Yeah, but like Metal Metal okay. Gear Five, like they're, they're, is on there now, and that's my first um, interaction with it. So there's a ton of stuff on there, and when you say they got to figure out like what their answer to that is going to be, yeah. I almost feel like Game Pass was created to not really have an answer to it without just 
spending a ton of money. Right, without PlayStation just being like, okay, fine, and, and we're doing the same thing, well, and all of our first-party games are... And that's the thing. Is like Microsoft's got a <laughs> shitload of money to spend on, on you know, yeah. acquisitions and... and uh, Did you know that you're always the one that curses every time? Every week? <laughs> it's not, always you. <laughs> you just said, damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Call the FCC. Well, apparently, I uh, once slipped through in a review uh, in, in the Ghost Recon review in progress. I used the S word. I'm, not, I'm actually a little. That's barely a curse word. Uh, and Dan was like, no, we're going to leave it <laughs> in because leave. times are changing. So. Yeah. But um, I can oh picture Dan. Saying so so other, other, for as far as other stuff where we're sort of looking at what now we know PS5 is doing and what we know Scarlet's doing. Um, we don't know if, presumably will be the same 100 gig discs. I mean, I think they're just going to have to be because they're going to be running the same games, the same caliber of games. But we, are, we already know they're both, Scarlet's also, they're both doing the, you know, minimize or eliminate loading times thing. So they're both doing that. They're both doing the hardware level ray tracing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, these are going to be, this is some really awful. fun consoles yeah. to uh, to see what they're capable of. I can't wait for the reveal events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. And I mean, those I do not think that they we have long to wait. Like no, I, I think those I are going to be Early February, March. Yeah. Well, it was they're going to be before E3, so that way when they get to E3, they can talk about video. Right. It was February 2013 for mm-hmm. PS4. Microsoft waited until May. Yeah. And there's no way they're going to no. they're going to let Sony have uh, the the all the mind share and discussion for three months again yeah so i yeah i suspect the those two events will happen it's, relatively it's, close it's to coming. each other now is this would we consider today's news the reveal of the ps5 no you think no <clears throat> I, I wonder when xbox the next the next xbox is going to be officially sort of revealed like this because like you said they don't want like to, this or officially uh, like this oh like this like more more they don't some tiny bits of information. yeah they don't want to lose the news cycle to to ps5 and and this is the second time it's happened well keep well, that in this, mind this is like a release date reveal sure. uh the other we one was like xbox. the like hey this is a thing right which whatever <laughs> and and then a name reveal and obviously. it loads so much faster but we've yeah. just spent 20 minutes talking about the playstation 5 on an xbox podcast sure. well again in the context of the next xbox yeah but like moving forward as more of these little tidbits of information come out like the news cycle picks them up well we do i mean yeah. we've got xo19 coming up in a month and change that could be a, you know a good opportunity for them to to grab some of the what else would they have what, what would they be able to what's a headline for them they've already revealed like well, a I mean, name i guess but the name. Like, they've already revealed they can talk the about release. controllers they can talk about yeah, they, yeah. They, that's optics like there's that's like great. so many little details that's what that's what yeah. playstation's doing right now like yeah. they mm-hmm. talked about yes this is coming here are some <laughs> hardware details it exists this is that's it release yeah. and then this time it's like beat. well yes it, it is called fast. the playstation 5 we have a controller. Yeah. <laughs> We're There's not naming it yet. It doesn't have a name, guys. It really doesn't. Um, <laughs> but it has these rumble features and stuff. Like it's just like a trickle, right? It's yeah. just like mm-hmm. these small things. It's not the big reveal, but it's enough to get to get us talking. Breaking sure. news: The Scarlet won't even have a controller. You'll control it with your mind. Please, please. zero input it lag. It plugs please. right in. Yeah, zero input. There's lag. an input. Sure, There's no I'll lag. take it. Competitive <laughs> players will have to play on Xbox because their brain is faster than a than a DualShock. Uh, mine's not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, all right. That's everything. So yeah, boy, we're already short on time. So let's do. Uh, yeah, I just want to definitely want to cover this Doom Eternal. One of the big fall games was due out November 22nd. 
has been pushed back mm -hmm. to yep. about four months to March 20th. Mm -hmm. Id Software saying they, they want to take some more time to, pretty, to, to polish this one up, which again, I know this is just a broken record, but great. You know, there's oh. no problem here. <laughs> I have a problem. You have a problem? I don't think there's a biggie I here. I manage wikis. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah. One, and this year. Well, it's tough well, because well the I, thing is, is, we're about to go over the list, but like next winter, like early spring is just packed. But yeah, I was, I was talking up. earlier and I was like, man, I was really wanting Doom this year because this fall is not as packed so, as spring right. is. Yeah. It's not only that, but also like we were just talking about like console reveal stuff. That's going to happen earlier. Yeah. We're going to have more yeah. news. We're going to have so much to do early next year, the, which I think is great for everybody except for us. The first <laughs> half of 2020 is going to be incredible. Yeah. Probably if these games deliver, which on their potential, Miranda, what, what is the, what is the, the release cadence? What are we looking at here? So for what we have written down right now, um, for PS4 is February. We got The Last of Us 2. Uh, but we also have Ori 2. In yes. February, which is very that, exciting. A major Xbox release. Absolutely. Yeah. First what's, party. What's greater? Those games are different enough yes. to not have to Oh, I'll be playing both. A yeah, lot of competition sure. between yeah. the two is one or the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then March we have Doom, which it moved to. Uh, technically Animal Crossing as well. Very different. Yes. Uh, and then Watch Dogs Legion. And then April we have Cyberpunk, which will consume all of our lives, I'm yep. sure. <laughs> and then Avengers is in May. So I think this You're is also really missing Final Fantasy Seven. Is in there? Yeah. Well, again, Xbox we, show. I, did, I, gave, I gave him one with the, Last of Us. Yeah, we're kind of like <laughs> it's, it's a, a remake. It's a remake of a twenty-year-old game. No, no, sure. it's a remake of episode one of a twenty-year-old game <laughs> of the first twenty percent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where's Nanaki anyway? I know it'll be a big deal, but for the purposes <laughs> yeah. of this discussion, yeah. I mean, well, the reason we bring up so much PlayStation stuff is because we obviously all care about multi-platform stuff. Of course, like we play all the things, but Xbox is number one for us. Of course. Where we play our so yeah, I mean, between you've you've got at least one huge game every month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, from February to May, now, you know, January. I, I did look at the list. <clears throat> January, there are a few games coming out, but nothing like blockbuster. Nothing on on this caliber. Where's uh, Ooblets? <laughs> they're right down the street. Go ask, <laughs> go ask Greg question. Rice down at Double Fine. Do, Doom not, is not weird because. Oh, no, then never mind. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure. Doom is weird because that was a big Stadia thing. Yeah. And now Stadia yeah, is right. going to be out in November with no Doom. Not, yeah. Well, they'll have Doom 2016. Sure. There you go. And Red Dead on, uh, you know, Red Dead 2. <laughs> yeah. With, every time that I've like sort of set up an appointment to see Stadia, it's always been running Doom Eternal or like an early version mm -hmm. of it to really show off like how how great the connection is to support this yeah. fast frenetic kind of gameplay. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see like if the, uh, if the preview marketing for like play doom on your stadia, it was enough to get people to adopt it. And then now they're waiting until March to, to actually, play to it. actually do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me just remind Xbox fans of what you still have to, to deal with uh, even without doom this fall. Uh, if you haven't played gears five yet, you should. Play it's fantastic. Uh, there's Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is November 15th, what was going to be the week before mm -hmm. uh, Doom Eternal. There's The Outer Worlds launching into Game Pass. That's the towards 20, the end of October, 25th? I believe. It's in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, yep. uh, which I'm super stoked for the campaign. I'm, for the first time in a number of years, I want to see what's... And 
I, you know? So I've been playing Crucible in Destiny 2. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And I'm just like, please, I'm ready for Call of Duty. <laughs> You're it's ready. Miranda's oh, ready. It's so bad. It's a good thing Destin's not here today. Yeah, oh, he, no, I could, I could tell him why. There's somewhere. so many. If he doesn't agree with me, there's so many bad things about it. Really? It's, Destin yeah. just had a heart palpitation somewhere. I, I, His ears I, are tingling. I, I, I greatly like Destiny 2. Crucible's bad. Anyway. Anyway, right. so yeah, you, you've got plenty of things... Uh, so yeah, the, of the games I just mentioned, all of them, but yeah, I think what three of them that I mentioned were all Game Pass games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Jedi Fallen Order is EA access, not not uh, Game Pass. Yeah. So, but yeah, you could just jump right into to Gears, jump right into um, Outer Worlds, and yeah, it's uh, you got you got plenty to keep you covered this yeah. fall. Yeah. Also, Outer Wilds, which has been out. Been out. Game Pass. Mm-hmm. Gonna keep saying it. So, <laughs> All right, uh, we're uh, we're running out of time because we. I know yeah. we're running out of time. I'm sorry to cut you off. Please go you ahead. You had this uh, October 2019 Xbox update feature list. I did. I was, the, so I was gonna I was gonna hit that. Okay, perfect. We, go was, ahead. Yeah, I was I was gonna cut the rest. Okay, and, perfect. Yes, please yeah. take I had it away. A segue. Please take it away, Miranda. Uh, yeah. So there's this great new feature coming where you can recommend recommend an Xbox Game Pass title, and hmm. so for anyone oh, who's on my cool. friends list or in the community that I'm in, be ready to be spanned with Outer Wilds recommendations. <laughs> there <laughs> so, it is. That was on, just Look, in case. I told you I'm going to play it yeah. eventually. You got to do it, guys. I know. I, I, every, everything everyone's saying about it, it sounds great. I'm but. ready to be like hated for this. I just need you guys to play you're, it. You're, di- you're going to die on this hill. I yeah. will. People keep t- like tweeting to me, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that you recommended this because I played it and had a great time. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm the guy that was championing inside for the last three years. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 100% yeah, with you. Yeah, we champion these games. Champion what you love. For a reason. Yeah. yeah. It's not just because I kind of like it. Well, Miranda, what are... So we got an October yes. Xbox dashboard update. Uh, that's not the only new feature coming. There were, I think, a couple of other... I, in fact, this first one, as a dad, uh, really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. If you want to uh, go over yeah, the, the rest of these. Uh, so the first one, you can limit your time with family settings for apps and games. Um, which Rather is, than just the system itself. Yes. Yeah. So specifically, it's like, okay, well, you can only play on an hour of this online thing, but you can have two hours with this puzzle game. With Outer Wilds? Yeah. <laughs> One hour of Fortnite, two hours of Outer Wilds. Infinite time with Outer Wilds. I'm giving you all permission right now. Your parents can come talk to me. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'll talk to parents. Oh. It's fine. All right. I'm an adult. I can't wait to see your Twitter <laughs> notifications. They're usually fine. Uh, you can also have wishlist notifications, so you can receive notifications, as it kind of is implied, uh, whenever something that you have added to your wishlist goes on sale. That's See, I like that. That's, That's cool. cool. Yeah, I like, have those with Steam. With it's Steam, very helpful. Yeah. It's like, oh, I really wanted to play this for a while, but I kind of just needed to wait on it. So now you need that. It's, it's the feature for those games that are like, oh, wait till it's on sale. Yeah. And now you don't have mm-hmm. to obsessively check. Yeah. And then, of course, um, again, recommend the Xbox Game Pass. And there's so many games on Games Pass. Please recommend them to people yes. who don't know what else to play. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. And then uh, some mixer viewing improvements yes. as well. So, yeah, more continual improvements to the Xbox dashboard, the Xbox ecosystem. Again, I, I know, you know, not to beat the dead horse, but just look look how far we're, we're six years into this generation. Look how much, I mean, it's night and day what the Xbox One entire experience from the from the box to the controller to the dashboard to the head mm-hmm. <laughs> headset accessories. Mm-hmm. 
to what it was six years ago to what it is now on the same console, same same platform. I mean, it is it is just remarkable the the turnaround. What are you? I'm not talking to Siri. What is she doing? <laughs> um, we've come a long, long way with within a single console generation on Xbox. They did the, they did exactly what they needed to do. They lost pretty quickly out of the gate and they realized there wasn't a whole lot they could do to catch up this gen. So they built out an ecosystem that now Phil Spencer rode in on a horse. He's like, just a big white horse. You guys Bill in armor and just <laughs> actually it was, it was more of just tying, uh, hog tying Don Matrick, throwing him in the <laughs> trunk of the car. Oh, I don't know. Uh, and then just putting, putting a, 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 a rod down, uh, on the gas pedal closing the door and just sending it off a cliff. Maybe we really... shouldn't make that joke because no one knows where he is. <laughs> he's rich as hell in Canada. He's Somewhere. fine. Yeah. He's, he's just rich. I, I wish I had the exact number in front of me, but I remember reading oh, he's the golden, the golden parachute, parachute yeah. number he got for leaving Zynga was absurd. Oh, right. Right. I mean, it I was like, and he was already that. a wealthy guy like, and not that he hasn't, or he's done, you know, he's been an executive for a long time, but like, wow, that guy, that guy got paid to go away. Mm-hmm. Must be nice. How do I attain that? Just where they will pay me an absorbent amount of money to go away. Is that an option? I don't know. Really I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Uh, How do you get anyway. that gig? So uh, all right. So we, can cover, that we can cover the rest uh, yeah. next week. It is, uh, yeah, it's after one. Let's see, I guess we're while we're all here, Suck it, Destin. Sorry, buddy. You do let's it? let's do trivia real right. fast because yeah. we're we're running out of uh, opportunities this year mm-hmm. to do a little trivia. And so, uh, in fact, here let's do let's do a little of this. Gotta get the the bumper in there. I never play the. I don't play the bumpers enough. Yeah, we're still on camera. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Well, listen. Uh, Brett Yamada writes in and asks, as you probably know, when you encounter a flipped vehicle mm-hmm. in the Halo franchise, you're presented with a message of hold X to flip whatever the vehicle's name is. Halo Three. If you guys remember the mm-hmm. elephant, the largest vehicle, the largest user operatable vehicle to ever be in the Halo universe thus far. Uh, had a, if you managed to flip it, there was a particularly <laughs> special Easter egg message in there. Do you recall that message? Was it a hold X to flip? Wait, what? How did you do that? Mm-hmm. Was it hold X to flip? Huh? That's impossible. Was it? Yeah, good luck with that. Or well, looks like you broke the game. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers this or I wants do. to take a I shot. I do because it was on the sand level. Yes. Yeah, I remember the level. I never yeah, flipped it. I, I so I've actually seen this before. I remember encountering this, and I cannot remember what you it said. It? It, it, like I didn't do it on purpose, but it, yeah, I ran up to a flipped one. How did you do that? I don't know. Someone probably shot me real good. Um, <laughs> as it happens, Brandon. As it happens, I'm gonna go with A because I, with a. I think I think it was A. It was either. No, I'm not gonna give anyone. All right. I, so, I was gonna go with A because I think it's funny. Okay, I like that one the best. Yeah. you're gonna you're gonna you sure. go with Brandon yeah. on this one. I really hate this. So my deduction is a little different. Um, nothing's impossible for the chief. You could say, yeah, good luck with that, but it's the chief. You wouldn't nothing's say that impossible for the chief. <laughs> so I think, and D doesn't feel very in line with how they write. So I was gonna go with A as yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. So everybody's united in A, uh, and Destin is not here. So that works to your guys' advantage because you are all correct. Yes. Well done. Oh. Miranda at eight points Yay, to I'm Destin's getting, 10. Getting there. Brandon at five. Wow, God, I've missed so around. many shows yeah. this year. Mark at three. 
Please just cheer me on. Give me your points. I almost I can't <laughs> do that. I you tried to do that last year. I and it didn't work. It doesn't uh, work. Guys. Brett, thank you very much for that question. If you have a great question. an Xbox yeah. trivia question for the panel, you'd like to try and stump them, please send it to me at unlocked at IGN.com. Put the question in there, the four multiple choice answers, and please note the correct one in your email as well. And that brings us to the end of another good, hopefully good episode. I had fun. Episode yeah. of yeah. Podcast Unlocked. Palindromatic episode 414. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. I gave you my shameless promotion at the top. Please check out Unfiltered. I'm very proud of it. I will, uh, as, as long as I don't forget, which I can't rule out, I'll put the audio at the end of this, but please go check out the video. It looks really fun. looks really good. You can watch Sean and I drink and, and me attempt to bartend. It didn't really go well. <laughs> to, like, pour? To pour, yeah. It didn't, didn't go great. Oh, no. Uh, Mark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Wendy's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Still not this Mark. <laughs> no, nothing to promote because it's uh, it's – Without being able to say why, it's it's this is my last week where I'm not gonna have to work 24 seven for like a month straight. So I'm just chilling right now. Good for just you, chilling. Yeah, hanging out. Calm before the storm. It's over on Monday. <laughs> Party's over. Party's over. Or the party begins. The party begins. <laughs> Brandon, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Tyrell. Um, stay tuned tomorrow for my full scored. Ghost Recon Breakpoint review. My brain just stopped working at some point. Uh, also, uh, all month long, Ryan and I have been putting up IGN First, uh, just sort of a compilation month where we're highlighting cool games we think you should keep your eye on. So today was an awesome little horror adventure game called Mosaic, but we've mm-hmm. touched on some Kerbal Space Program stuff. And I can't remember if it's published yet or if it's upcoming, so I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, check out IGN First all month long. Miranda, take us home. All right. You can follow me at Havoc Grows on the Havoc with a K kind of anywhere. Um, I don't really have a lot to promote at this moment, so just kind of finishing up some old stuff that hopefully goes up soon. Uh, definitely check it out Unfiltered, so I will promote that for Ryan Thank again. I'm, I'm just the person that repeats things that you should be watching. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to that rule of seven we were talking about on the spoiler cast. <laughs> but watch Unfiltered. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, and we will see you next week. What's happening, friends? Welcome to another episode of IGN Unfiltered. It is our monthly interview series where I have the great privilege of sitting down with the best, brightest, most interesting minds in the games industry. Uh, except this month, I'm standing with... <laughs> well, I'll explain in a moment. Hang on. Although you probably already figured it out if you're watching on video. Uh, Sean Crankle is my guest. He is the co-founder of Night School Studios. And if you're going, I kind of know... That name sounds vaguely familiar. This will do it for you. Oxenfree. That was your breakout game from a few years ago. Just fantastic adventure game. Teenagers, adventure, death. Possession. It's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, And and you've you've, uh, followed that up now with After Party, which is out October 29th. Yes. On pretty much every platform, uh, mostly to start. The Switch version will come later. So we'll get to all that. You're not here for your health. We are promoting a new video game. But uh, before we get started, first of all, Sean, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Uh, You're my guinea pig, so I I thank you for that, because you might notice, if you're watching on video, if you're listening on audio, please check out the video this month, because we're in our new 
Uh, bar Arcade. I don't. Th- I think I legally can't say Barcade. I think somebody owns that. That's like a trademark thing. Ridiculous. It might have just gotten bleep right now. I'm not sure. But yeah, we're here. We've got our, our uh, setup. We've got some cool set dressing, which I think maybe one of the shots I'll pick up. We've and then a functioning tap. Uh, cheers, cheers, my friend. Yeah. This. So I'm not good at. Don't at, lie. This is your basement. We're in his basement. Yeah. So you got a, a functioning. This is a. Mm. It's a pilsner of some sort. I like it. I'll take more. It's solid. So um, the goal is not to get you drunk, but if you end up that way and and tell a bunch of crazy industry stories, yeah, well, that'll only make the show better. So you know, feel free. Is I guess all it's I'm saying. It's a normal thing. <laughs> Just pretend it's GDC or E3. Yeah, oh yeah, and, oh yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, let's enough of me. Let's get back to you. You're the star. You're the reason we're here, uh, Sean. So, uh, Oxen Free was awesome. After Party's looking great. I got to play it uh, around E3 time. It's out October 29th. PC, away. PS4, Xbox One, and Xbox Game Pass. That's right. So that's uh, that's good if you're a Game Pass subscriber. Just play it. You just get it. Just be there. But I always like to start at the beginning. We're gonna we're gonna go back in time. Take me back in your brain. What were some of your favorite games growing up? I want to figure out how we got go to where back. you are. Yeah, let's go hop in the way back. back machine. We're gonna go pre Super Nintendo. Good. We're gonna go pre NES. Oh, okay. I'm you don't look that back. old. You no. don't look that old. I'm older than you think. <laughs> um, we're gonna go wood panel Atari Twenty Six. Really? We're gonna go probably that bad Spider Man game. You remember the Spider Man? No. Game? See, I, NES is my is that, my that jumping off point. point. Okay. Yeah, so that's... my dad got us uh, an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and all I remember was that. Also, yeah. it was a horrible Pac Man game. It was like the worst <laughs> port of all time. But Spider Man, you just had like a single color building, and then you mm-hmm. shot like a massive pixel uh, wide uh, uh, web up yeah. the side of the screen, and then you just fell over and over and over again. So that's <laughs> How I fell in love with games, um, but then, yeah, probably Mario Three. I mean, all of mine are going to sound like everybody else's. Super That's Mario okay, 3 though. It's just—it's your story. So great, but then a lot of the, you know, like the Lucas Art stuff is is massive. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Day of the Tentacle in particular, although Sam and Max, Maniac Mansion. I played Maniac Mansion on NES. I didn't play it on yeah. PC. Yeah. Which was just a slog. Have you played that recently? Have you tried uh, it? No, with a, not, with not a in a little while. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, you can still microwave a hamster, <laughs> but it's it's rough. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, I would say definitely um, you know like like all of those that I mentioned. But my favorite of all time, Link to the Past. I've probably played Link to the Past I don't know thirty times. That's a solid oh, answer. Through. So good. We Perfection. got Link's Awakening out now. So yeah. that's you yeah. know that's uh, you can't, can't beat that. that. Yeah, it's good good times. But all right, so you've been gaming since you were a kid. Yes. Let's fast forward to you're growing up. You're starting to figure out who Sean is, what yes. Sean's going to be. Tell me, I, I, see, I learned so much. I love doing this show for a million reasons. One of them is I, I just learn all kinds of crazy stuff about each of my guests as I prepare for these things. You worked on a late 90s soap opera <laughs> t- television show called Sunset Beach. Wait, before that. Before, oh, there's before a before that. that. Okay. I worked at EB Games in the yeah. Lombard Mall across from EGM for like five years. Nice. As a, like a preteen into teenage years. Yeah, first job kind sling, of thing. First job kind mm-hmm. of thing. Slinging, uh, 
uh, uh, Donkey Kong Country with a big orange hat on my head. <laughs> um, and then I got an internship out here or out in Los Angeles when I was 19, and that would be for that show. So it's called Sunset Beach. Yeah. Uh, it was this failed Aaron Spelling daytime soap opera. So my first introduction to L.A. was like, oh, yeah, of course you hang out with, like, the Spellings, and you go to this block-long <laughs> mansion. And yeah. actually threw up in Aaron Spelling's bowling alley <laughs> underground by mistake. This is already off to a horrible well, start. Well, let's press pause for a second. How, how do you end up with an internship? So where are you from originally? Is Downers it Chicago? Grove, Illinois. So it's like yeah. 20 minutes outside of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So how, how do you get from Chicago? Did you want to go out west into the games uh, games or entertainment industry? What's Entertainment for sure. I was yeah. in a school in Chicago at Columbia College for film. Okay. So this was like a writing internship uh, that a friend of the family was actually a writer on this series, Sunset Beach. And she had written on all the, you know, Days of Our Lives, all yeah. these other soap operas. And it was like, will your parents let you go out there and live alone while you're 19? And I made the case everywhere and I got credit from Columbia, talked them nice. into it. Then I dropped out of college, so it didn't matter. But <laughs> I, I pushed and pushed and moved out and stayed for those three months. And I was like, I just need to stay out here and start but, working. I mean, that must have been, like, if that had happened to me at 19, I'd have been freaking out. That would have been the I most awesome thing. Out. Like, what do you mean, what? I get to go out to L.A. and work on a TV show? It was crazy. Were yeah. you just out yeah. of your mind? Out of my mind, yeah. So, yeah, basically during the day I would just, like, drive golf carts around and take people down to set. And then sometimes they'd be like try this weird wardrobe thing on yeah. so that we can see if the color looks right but I was all pale and skinny and bluish white colored and I was like <laughs> just don't show these pictures to anybody uh, and then yeah I just kind of like at the end of that was like I just want to stay and work because I didn't get a job there and I was probably going to go back to school which would have yeah. been great but um, from there a friend of mine that had been uh, like the office assistant on that show knew somebody over at D Disney Feature Animation and I was like I'm going to go try and get in there as a PA and make my way in there. So yeah. then took that jump. Wait, so it really is who you know, isn't it? It's, it's like, like a mix of like, you have to just have no fear, which I have a lot more fear now that I'm in my early I'm the 40s. same way. I'm the same way. Like, <laughs> I'm way different. worse now. Yes. Like, I got LASIK then, when I was 22. I would, like, it would no, terrify no. me now. But no I just la I just laid down and did it then. <laughs> no, I would definitely not do it now. Too much to lose. Uh, so, yeah, I, at that time, it was just like, work my ass off, plus it was free. I had saved up a bunch of money, and I just kept pushing through. And yeah, I happened to know a person that was friends with somebody over at Disney. I interviewed there. I actually promised the person, to her credit, I won't say her name, but she was like, I will only give you this job as a PA if you promise to go back to school. And I was like, absolutely. And I just... <laughs> didn't do that. I just started working there. Stay in school, kids. <laughs> Stay in school. Uh, yeah, so that, my first day there, I was a PA on Bugs Life. And so I was wow. like the recording coordinator and PA on that. So Are you in the credits? Like, I'm in the credits for that and the credits for Tarzan, a bunch of crazy Disney movies. That's awesome. That yeah, which is so crazy. you ended up before you get to where you are now uh, as, a, as a, the head of, you know, co-head of your own studio, you worked for Disney on somehow three separate occasions? Three times. How does that happen? It's a gift and a curse. I don't know. <laughs> so the first time was feature animation, right? Yeah. So I worked there for... I don't know. What did you find? Four years? I can't remember. <laughs> so that's that's the PA job? Let's say, so it was a PA, then into a coordinator. So okay. I was like the effects coordinator on Tarzan was the last thing that I cool. did. Cool. But I was still only 20, whatever, 21, 20. Yeah. I didn't even know what I was doing, really. 
And what I realized at that point in time was like I was climbing a totem pole that I didn't really know what I would do there because within Disney certainly at that time you had to be like a story artist if you were going to have a creative impact on how the narrative worked Mm -hmm. um, which I was not or you had to be an animator or a variety of other things so it was like there was this production path there that seemed cool but these movies take you know for people that don't know it's like four to eight years to make an animated movie so major major commitment yeah so um, after that period of time, that's when I was like, I want to get out of this. But I still did not know how to get into games at all. It was another kind of fluke. What was thing. So was the games thing, was that just like always in the back of your head? Like, man, I'd love to make video games. Hyper passionate about games. Yeah. Like every aspect of my life was games from like, like outside. So, you know, I was a big like pen and paper guy, but not on D&D, on the Ninja Turtles RPG instead. There was a, tur- there was a pen and paper? Oh yeah. There's that pen, sounds pen and awesome. Ninja Turtles thing. And it was all like the old comic style. So hyper oh, yeah. violent, you know, they're all tied up with Eastman and Laird yes. stuff. Like, there was yeah, crossovers with ninjas and super spies and a few other things. And there was just this big crazy, yeah, thing. So anyways. So, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Do you roll, are you, playing one of the f- turtles in this in this you pen and paper or, or you make your own character you and I made... Who were you? His name was... This is horrible. His name was Nemad, which was yeah. Damien backwards. Yeah. I was 13. Don't, don't hate him. <laughs> he was scaly. He had blades coming out of everything. He yep. was covered in blood. My mom probably should have called the police. What was he a, mute, a mutation of? It was like everything. Everything? You know, it was like when you go to the go to Subway and put all the soda in one cup. Right. I had that mentality. And so you drew him in some like notebook paper, I him in notebook oh, paper, yeah. rolled a bunch of dice. Yeah. Here we go. That's cool. And it was like, yeah, he would go and, you know, stop drug deals and in, in uh, warehouses things right. like that <laughs> as mutants do so games are always in the back of your head you're Absolutely. playing games pen and paper and video game um, yes so was there what what made you want to be a game developer was it was it that sort of the, that love that was always there combined with this sort of production path in in entertainment that's not going quite where you want it to go or where does it come from exactly that and i you know i will say looking back it probably seems like it all fell into place with a a major plan in place but it was more (laughs) like i knew i wanted to stay in la i knew i wanted to work in entertainment and or games yeah i was looking for games jobs but at that time this is like 99 right Mm -hmm. so in 99 it wasn't a very clear path. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to USC and have this right. huge game career that's going to you know, sprout from that. It was v- Everybody's path back then had, was, was very odd, right? Yeah. So um, I, at that time, it's another one of these things where it was like somebody that I had worked with at sun- during the Sunset Beach era, she had mentioned to me that uh, she had a friend who was also like a coordinator over at Universal Interactive. At yes. The time. So Universal Interactive was this perfect kind of crossover for me because I had the experience of where I had just been the last few years on the film side, and Universal Interactive was on the lot. They, you know, this is when they were still working with Insomniac and working with Naughty Dog. Mark Cerny was like just leaving as the head of Universal Interactive at that time. Yeah. Um, and I interviewed there for like an associate producer gig. And it wasn't even a design thing at all. It was much more on the production right. path. And it just worked. It just happened. <laughs> you're, in your, in your, you're in your early 20s at this 21 point. 21. Point. Maybe 22. And so in my notes, it's you ended up heading up a team that was working on a platformer for Universal. Is that correct? 
So that is correct. So um, in the very beginning, I was working on a couple of the Crash spinoffs, and these were the bad Crash spinoffs. You know, the <laughs> moment when Naughty Dog is like, bye, and then it's like, here's a really whack uh, PS2 game or whatever. So I was working on that, doing some design work and working as an associate producer. But Microsoft at that time, this is before the first Way Xbox before Xbox, out, right? yeah. And they were kind of going to publishers and developers and going like, you are great at this, so we want to partner with you on this. So they're going to go to EA to try to get a great sports game. Mm-hmm. And it came to us because platformers were still really oh, yeah. a big deal, right? And so um, our whole kind of production crew started to pull together these various pitches. And I, in over the course of a weekend, just go nuts and write this ridiculous pitch about a ferret that has been kidnapped by a torturous kid and he's kept in a cage under a bed and the kid watches all these violent kung fu movies and so the ferret steals a Bic pen and some yarn and a paper clip and he breaks out he fights all these cockroaches and then he goes on this animal liberation movement so it's like this like dirty Toy Story type of a (laughs) platformer that had stealth in it and it was called Ferris so I pitched this to Microsoft and they green light it and I'm like what (laughs) because I don't know what the hell I'm doing still like I'm just sort of winging it and we're like we're going to find a developer to work with on this thing and so that's essentially what happened. I mean, like, this the, is the age of impossible, right? Yeah. So it's like, I guess, yes. I guess the that was it. it sounds yes. like it's good to go. Like, all right, green light, let's do this. It was insane. So we initially it was with Bizarre Creations. You remember Bizarre? Of course. I yeah. mean, Project Gotham Racing, incredible. Blur. I mean, what an incredible studio. Yeah, so so great to work with. Super super talented. And so this was, I think, right after they did Fur Fighters. So they were like a really good kind of fit for yeah, that. That would have been probably, I think, maybe pre Metropolis Street Race. Racing? That was sort of before yeah, they hit like the racing. Yeah, like two years before. I think yeah. PGR was already out, but maybe, or which one? No, came Metropolis first? MSR was first. MSR and was that, first. That and led PGR to PGR. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I work on this game for like a year. They give me a budget. I'm the producer and lead designer on it. I'm spending all this time out in the UK. I'm just a child. <laughs> are, are your parents, like, when you call home to t- tell your parents what's <laughs> going like, are they, like, just stunned at what you're, like, do they just think that? California is this magical place, or that you're just this, this this like golden I, like Midas touch I don't child. Know. Like I don't know. I don't know. Parents think. I don't know. Every time I was going back home, though, it was odd. It was very odd because I was like, <laughs> this is working out. And there's yeah. certainly low times. You know, I'm just talking through the highlights, but yeah. like that part was crazy because yeah, then I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm flying to the UK all the time. So then. I think right around then, so Sly Cooper comes out, a few other games come out that are in that general genre, but like three or four come out that bomb. I can't remember the names of them, but a few of these big budget platformers come out, and then Universal pulled the plug, Mm -hmm. so that was it. We're like a year in, and I had blown all this money, and the game just sort of died, which sucked. Um, So then I kind of I I flip back over working on more Crash stuff, but working on the the better ones, so that was fun. Yes. (laughs) Um, Design work and production work on those, and then um, oh, then we can go into Fifty Cent. Yeah, I mean that's so. You you worked on the first one, Bulletproof. Yes. yes. Um, Just before we before we get to that, uh, just licensed game because you worked on and I think a lot of licensed games over the years. Like twenty, probably. That's a lot. Yeah, a ton. Um, you know, that to me, to 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 a gamer who just sort of sees the final product, it seems like working on a licensed game would be a total nightmare, mm. where you just have fixed budget, fixed time, and you better get it done or else. Because 
most of them over the years, I guess up until recently when people have started to put more money and time into these things, but they, were, they always had the reputation of being kind of just horrible, terrible. <laughs> yes. I mean, they still so, mostly do, right? I guess it's mostly? more on, on, it's more they get kind of pushed to mobile now. Yes. It's not as, true. we don't see that's them as true. much on the console side, but yes. Yeah. What's like, do you know as you're, as you're a mobile game developer that you, you just know that you're, you just have to make the best of a tough situation it's, or do you, do you think like, yeah, this is. Good. I'm going to make this awesome. This is going to be great, and then it somehow doesn't. It somehow goes horribly awry. Like, what's? It's what is super the mindset? Different every time. Okay. So, like all those um, those logistics you're talking about about timelines and budgets and all that. Those are all awful, uh, certainly. But even on top of that, it's like how much uh, feedback or direct line of communication do you have with the license holder? Right. Is is critical, right? So, like even recently, like we did the Mr. Robot game for like through our studio at night school. Yes, that went great because we worked directly with their whole team, and it was very fast and fluid, and they trusted us, and we trusted them, and like these people who have these licenses or the creators of these shows they don't want to make something shitty. Like, they want to make great stuff, (laughs) right? So it's about all the layers in between, usually, and it's also about how risky do you want to get with it. So in the case of the 50 Cent game, that went really awry, like the first one. (laughs) So, yeah, I got got to hear about that because... First of all, like, are you? Do you volunteer for this? Are you assigned to it? Like, how does it come about? Well, before that, here's the worst license game: The Grinch. Okay, I worked on The Grinch. Uh, PS One. It was Dreamcast. PS One. Can't remember what else. Maybe N sixty four. And I don't mean to say it's the worst game, but that is the example that you're speaking of. I think where yeah. it's like it's just the timelines are bad. Everything is sort of bad. And on that one, you know, to all credit to A two M, who was the developer on it. I think they're called Behavior now. Uh, they, I think they changed the name. Yeah. But it was like, how do we do a Spyro clone in ten months? And it was sort of like that's hard as hell. That's going to be a nightmare. But it's kind of a fun challenge. Like you actually aren't. You know, hating on yourself at the moment. You're yeah. just more like, this is crazy. Let's get gung ho and go do it. And the thing that I tell a lot of people is like, making a bad game is almost exactly as hard as making a good game. Hmm. Like, <laughs> the amount of effort and the amount of intelligent people and the amount of like vision that goes into those games is is very akin to some of our favorite games. It's just that those teams aren't afforded a lot of the opportunities and they're getting focus tested to death and they've got a boardroom full of people who are shooting things down. So, so you're getting noted to death? Yes, like nonstop, right? And so I think... For, the, for a game like that, you know, that's going to inherently put out a product that's not that great. But um, in, like I said, you know, in the, in the case of the Mr. Robot game, that worked out really well. And there can be sort of any spectrum in between. Right. 50 was weird because I was like initially sort of the internal uh, flag waver just behind like, let's make a thing. Like we should yeah. do this. Um, and Interscope Records was basically part of the big same parent company. So mm-hmm. that's why that all started. Okay. Um, and at the time, Interscope was like, we want to make a game. We think that this guy is going to be huge. And the more we looked into it, it was like, yeah, this does, I mean, he's going to blow up. Get Rich or Die Trying hadn't come out yet. Yep. Um, he was, you know, obviously under the tutelage of Dre and, and Eminem. And so then it turned into like, okay, let's get behind it. We actually started making a much bigger game, a much bigger game. It was like an open world GTA clone wow. initially with another studio that I don't know if I should mention, but they're a great studio. Yeah. Uh, that got really far along, far enough along, then it got canceled. And then at the last minute, it was like, we still need to make this game for <laughs> <your> scope. 
So fast forward, 50 Cent Bulletproof is another one of these like 11 month titles, right? I mean, it's like a brutal timeline. So the team there, like I mentioned earlier, when you talk about people that do great work that are working their butts off, like the lead designer went on to do um, uh, Darksiders 1 and 2. Like most of that team went on to do really incredible things, but just had a lot of challenges thrown at them. Man. and what, how do you feel about that game now? Like, <laughs> it was fun. No, I mean, the game, the game was not fun. Working on the game was a blast. <laughs> I think the game is what we all think it is. It's like a pretty bad third-person shooter. I think that Blood in the Sand ended up being much better. Well, I, I left before that really I was going to say, like, if you tell people you worked on the 50 Cent game, does everyone immediately think it was, <laughs> like, it was yeah. Blood in the Sand? They're like, yeah, that game was cool. I'm like, oh, well, it wasn't that How about one. the other one? <laughs> yeah, no, we like we, we were ideating that one right before I left. So we would sit in the room. We're like, what's the most outlandish, ridiculous setting? And, yeah. you know, like I think a lot of people, I think some of the charm of that game is that people are still like, do people know that this is hilarious? Everybody that worked on it knew it was hilarious. <laughs> like this was not intended to be serious. It was very tongue-in-cheek. But like the first game, I mean, we had, so the writer of Bulletproof was Terry Winter, who is the creator of Boardwalk Empire. He wrote wow. Wolf of Wall Street. He was the <laughs> exec producer of Sopranos. It was like that caliber, you know? And then, like, I got to direct Dr. Dre. So it was, I liked working on it. The game's not great, but it was That's fun to work cool. on That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right, so let's fast forward. When and how do you connect with your cousin Adam, who'd, who'd worked at Telltale on, uh, coincidentally, my, probably my two favorite Telltale games, Wolf Among Us and Tales from the Borderlands, uh, and and decide to start your own independent studio. So we uh, we connected when he was born, um, and that, <laughs> and uh, for years we had wanted to work together. So we actually worked at the same company most of that decade. Like he was at Universal doing QA while I was oh, okay. there. Uh, when I was at Disney Interactive, he was there. So he like, had the, we were games, always the game around. development bug, too. He had the bug as well. Um, and I think that, you know, for, up until then, there was just not a natural path to us doing it. We had talked about maybe we write a movie together, maybe we do this, maybe we do that. But, like, digital distribution had not really taken off yet. Unity wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was no way for us to do that. And about, I don't know, maybe, I guess this is 2000. 11-ish. Um, I actually went up and interviewed at Telltale to be a creative director there. Didn't get that gig, but we kept... And he was there at the time. Okay. Adam was already there. And at that point, that was the light switch where we were both like, we want to do something special together. Let's figure it out and let's be very aggressive about it. Like now it's time to shit or get off the pot. So we spent about six months ideating what we'd want to do. This is while I was still at Disney. He was a telltale. And then I got laid off at Disney. And then that was the perfect like kick to get things rolling, basically. Um, Because I had a two-year-old daughter and it was like, you know, you have... Basically, five months before you burn through all your savings, right. uh, let's get this thing off the ground. And so we pulled together like a business plan and the general structure of Oxenfree in that period of time. Did one or the other convince, like who, who was leading the charge on that, on that effort? Because that's a big decision. It's a huge decision, especially when he was already gainfully employed yeah, while I was <laughs> without a gig. Uh, I mean, we had been talking about it at, for, for months pr- prior to that, but it was almost more of a cathartic thing in the beginning you know when you work somewhere like oh wouldn't it be cool if we did this if we did that but then it really started to coalesce and then when that layoff happened it was like i'm gonna do it so he basically said to me he's just like i trust you i'll like let me know when these things are really starting to come together 
And we worked at night a lot on what a proposal would look like and how we could actually go out and raise some money to try and get a game. That done. was the next thing I wanted to ask yeah, you. It's like, yeah. you know, I've had a million developers in here and it's fascinating to me every time, but like, how do you conv- who, how, how do you go get money that like it's not cheap to set up shop? I mean, you probably I don't know how many employees you guys have. I'm sure it's a, a dozen up or more. At Thirteen now. Thirteen. But back okay. then we were four. So. Well, but still, it's like you got to pay people. You got to you got lawyers for you know oh, all the. 401k and all this and that like toilet but, paper but first you got to raise like so who do you even target do you have to go to do you start like at a bank or do you look at like investment firms or it's, it's a great question um for this specific thing it was another case of making the most of prior working relationships so well, you are you're I, like a charmed man you know that right like, like i i had left games for five years in the middle of everything we talked about and yeah. went to work on the marketing side of things and so um i worked at a marketing agency we, I wrote like a bunch of ARGs, which you know what an ARG is, yeah. So did did a bunch of um, creative work for games and film on the marketing side, and decided that I wasn't a marketing person. Like I was okay in that space, and I liked. I got the entrepreneurial itch from doing that because you're out pitching and you're yeah. getting shot down all the time. But ultimately, when I left, the head of one of those agencies that I had worked at, he like we left on really good terms, and he good. was like, "If you ever want to work together again, let me know." So he in the in the very beginning when I was pitching night school, it was actually to be an extension of his agency. Now, he was really interested in that, but then he was like, we as an agency have our own identity crisis, because agencies are like, we do this, we do that, we do other things. Why are we making new IP video games? (laughs) So, at the last minute, he kind of was more like, we'll we'll put a little bit in, but you got to go raise the rest of it. And then that was just a crazy hunt for, for folks. Now, the amount that I asked for was enough for four people to work for a year and a half, right? So it wasn't overly crazy. Right. Um, but fortunately, they trusted me enough to have what at the time was probably a pretty simplistic business plan because we really were just like, let's make the coolest possible game that yeah. we adore and we'll put it out. There's no free-to-play hooks. <laughs> it's just going to make something <laughs> really cool. And uh, that's, yeah, that's how it came together over the course of those six months. So uh, what... What lessons and wisdom does does Adam impart from his time at Telltale, either good or bad, right? Like, yeah. oh, this this totally worked. We should do this, or or let's make sure to not do this at all. Um, I'm sort of I'm sort of curious because you know I don't know. I mean, this is a while ago. Telltale obviously and unfortunately ended very badly, which I mean I'm a, in my opinion certainly seemed to have been poor management from mm-hmm. the top that, that sunk the studio. So what were, were, were there uh, some sort of obvious lessons that, that you guys had learned to live by right away? So not re- only the creative ones, not the business okay. ones early yeah. on. The creative ones, it was more like how can we siphon his learnings about branching narrative design that he got there in the short time that he was there? Because I think he was there for like a year and a half, two okay. years. But he still oversaw a ton of projects there. And they had a lot of great process in place in terms of like how to reinforce player agency and how to really get choices making sense. And so, uh, and he's just a great writer. And so I think in the beginning it was like how do we take that from what... Th- they require 200 people to make and how do we let four people do it? (laughs) And how do we like distill that? Because in the beginning we were like, we were just like, like I think we talked for a while about going, how do you take Limbo and The Walking Dead and mix them together? That was like the mission statement for That's a killer elevator pitch right there. (laughs) And that's really what we were pitching. It was like Limbo and The Walking Dead. Like what if you're playing Limbo and you can talk while you're doing it? And then... (laughs) 
that got us this momentum. But, you know, over time, I think it, it was less about when he started there. And it was more like because we worked with them on the uh, uh, the Mr. Robot game and on an unannounced thing that ended up going down when they went down. Yeah. And during that time, it was then we really realized, like, just stay lean and stay yeah. innovative. Yeah, because like, you uh, you guys didn't get paid for that is what I there what was I read. a chunk that we did not. Right. So, so that I mean, was rough. Was that was that scary? Like, is there I mean, you, hopefully you. Plan for that. I mean, I, I can't imagine having a client that that won't that can't or won't pay. When we're that small, it's like a blow to the side of the ship that is almost you can barely recover from yeah. it. So fortunately, you know, we had we have so far still sort of mixed doing original IP and then doing some outside like client work here and there. And so like NBC Universal w- with Mr. Robot and yeah. then the Mummy game that we made, which let's just skip over that one. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that kind of Hollywood thing of like? One for them, one for us. It's, a little, it's, it's literally sort of like that, yeah. And, you know, there's licenses that we would want to, like, knock out of the park, and those ones we wanted to do as well. But, yeah. like, we are not allergic to working with partners who will keep us safe and who are yeah. good to work with, you know? Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, when that happened, it was it was terrifying. So, uh, yeah, Night School spinning up, which, by the way, so does, does the name Night School come from the fact that you guys started by working on, in the evenings You know on it? what? I wish it was that. It's just, we're like, it sounds cool. But... <laughs> I swear to God, it was more like it's evocative of a little bit of that. Well, you know, you can set night. your own narrative right now. You can <laughs> actually. Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was really like it was just that vision of like there's youthfulness, there's stuff going on after hours. Yeah, there's all of that, but there's no hyper specific <laughs> thing. Yeah. So did did the the idea for Oxenfree sounded like did that come right at the studio's onset? Like you you had that going in, like that that was. Uh, you're in, uh, and and Adam's idea heading into this whole thing. It was it was, there were two. I'm going to refill you by Please the way. Do. I Let's was, see how, I was how giving how... the the eye. <laughs> um, oh, good pour. It's a little better. A little better. It's a little better. Um, there we a go. Great pour. Yeah, okay, not bad, it's right? A great pour. I don't do this for a living. Yeah, thank you. Let's look at that. It's <laughs> a really good pour. Um, yeah, the we had two ideas that we wanted to somehow merge. One was just a pure design idea, which was like, how can we make story the toy? Yeah. So like, how can, if every other studio is going, story is this connective tissue between what the real gameplay is, we were like, how do we just make the gameplay story? And so communication and all of that was like a thing that we wanted to make sure there was no cutscenes. we never took control away from the player, and there was more like an ability for the player. And so... From that, knowing how small we were, we were like, well, let's start to develop ideas for a story that a team this small can make. So a desolate island is a pretty good place for something like that. A small cast is a pretty good place for something like that. Them not having machine guns and rocket launchers is probably <laughs> pretty cost-effective for us. Um, and so, on, you know, on the other side of that, like, we're just huge fans of, like, Spielbergian 80s teen, preteen stuff. And there, it wasn't overly saturated yet. Like, Stranger Things hadn't come out. None of that was really out yet when we started because it was 2014 like Mm -hmm. right when we were starting and so those two things just kind of kept feeding each other it's like the toy is talking and we want a bunch of teens who are dealing with teen coming of age stuff and and we kept going but the the ghostly nature of it that came later Uh, we didn't have that yet so at, at what point during the project i always love asking this question of everybody that's made something cool where when when do you know that you have something special is it like on paper up front, like, this is going to be great, or is it not until gamers are playing it, like, or somewhere in between? I'm always curious. 
it is a it is an emotional roller coaster because in the very beginning you're like oh I got something really special here and then you start to sort of like dig in a bit and you go oh there's a lot of problems under here that we have to solve that even though we thought we were picking the simplest thing it's extremely difficult yeah. and then you solve a bunch of those problems you go oh this is incredible and so like for us the out, from the outset we're like a coming of age story where you determine how the player comes of age and you can talk freely the whole time that we we're like we're on to something but about halfway through the game, we're like, this game sucks. <laughs> like, we are, we're dead in the water because none of the performances were in yet. It was way more complicated to make than we expected. Like, there's so much performance in the characters' animations. There's so much in terms of, like, how do you uh, convey fear and tension when the camera is so far away right. and you don't have the language of film to work with where we're cutting between people. And so... For a long period, it was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And then right towards the end, we're like, okay, this feels special. So it's, it's definitely, it's a roller coaster. Huh. So it's, it's by the, but by the end, by the time you shipped it, you, you felt really good about it. Yes. Although even then it was like, the game was so synonymous with the studio. We didn't even really think, I mean, Night School was a studio, but really we were like, we're the people making Oxen Free together. <laughs> and if it doesn't do well, we're going to just go get other jobs. But if it does do well, Oh shit! We got a studio. We <laughs> got to make yeah. some more things. And yeah. so, right when it came out, we had something we were proud of, but we didn't know if it would resonate. But yeah, we felt great about it. Well, on a sort of the other side of that same coin, I'm curious. You know, is it frustrating at all to try and cut through the noise as mm-hmm. an independent studio? You know, knowing that you have something you feel really good about. To just try and get noticed when there are like 5,000 other great independent titles that are publishing to PC and consoles on an almost literal daily basis? <laughs> yes, uh, it's terrifying. It continues to get even more terrifying. I think um, one of the things that probably helped from just that stint that I did on the marketing side was understanding at least where to start with an idea that is big and not so esoteric that it's hyper-focused on just a particular group of gamers. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a way that we could communicate Oxenfree that would sound very focused, but there's another version where you just go, you know, it's the, it's a playable uh, freaks and geeks and poltergeists mixed together, and how do we communicate the game that way and, and give that promise? And so that's not just, like, how you message the game, but even, like, our art style, for example. At that time pixel art, I mean, pixel art is still huge, but like at that time, it was like the biggest thing from yeah. like 2012 to 2015. And we were like, let's intentionally go left. Even though we love those types of games, we want to look different and make it look like we are, you know, somebody that would be talked about with the other big boys. So right. like, I think Cappy does a great job of that and has always done a great job of that. Like, they are an indie studio that has um, that, that is always talked about in sort of the AAA conversation. True. We, we kind of leaned into that, and we continue to try to do that. So, what, sort of similar question of, uh, of from a minute ago: Was there a point where you felt like you know you're put, you're about to put it out into the wild, and you feel like? All right, I think we have some good visibility and some good awareness here. Or is it still just terrifying? To, to Are you sitting there going, is anyone even going to notice this game? It's definitely terrifying, even once it's out, right? So, like, we got pretty good reviews, so that helped. But even then, it's like, how do you get people to latch on to the aspects of the game that we think they should latch on to. And yeah. with a game like Oxenfree that has so much sort of mystery behind the story, you we were very precious, I think, early on in all the wrong ways. We were like, check this out, isn't it mysterious? And then didn't really convey what was happening in the game. And over time, we changed how we messaged that. So like when the PS4 version came out a few months after the Xbox and PC version, we leaned into the mind-bendiness of the game. And yeah. we 
leaned into the time loops and the puzzles and, and all of that intrigue and, and kind of pulled back from some of the things that were more kind of generic because it's not a horror game. We don't want to sell it as a horror game. So you just find ways. I think for us, one of the biggest things was like, talking to the community a lot and understanding what they love because for us we're like there's it's a jambalaya of a lot of stuff we love mm -hmm. but maybe there's only three things that people are really resonating with so you just ch change the message based on that and, and do you feel like that worked on the PS with, with the PS4 version absolutely yeah so on the even before the PS4 version came out we were realizing that people were replaying the game and we hadn't built in any sort of uh, like reward structure for that and we're like because oh, during Adam's time at Telltale he was like people barely play through these things the first time they definitely don't play through a second time we started looking at our metrics where like people are playing Oxenfree one and a half times on average wow. so they're usually playing two three if they're really into it and we're like there's nothing there for that so we built the new game plus version then that really fit nicely with the fiction of the game because there are time loops and we found a way to make it feel like that's the complete version of the game and yeah. then it just blew up it really blew up after that I, I love hearing that so to the dis uh, one more thing on the discoverability thing because this it's a fascinating topic to me as somebody mm. I mean it's it's a big part of my job I'm the mm. previews editor here it's my job to try and filter you know what IGN should cover that's coming mm. up and you know, back when I worked at Official Xbox Magazine, it was a lot easier, both in terms of it was a single platform, just Xbox, and there there weren't like we could literally look at every single game that came that came onto right. Xbox. Now, with even even if I did just cover Xbox here, because of ID at Xbox, there are developers constantly putting out stuff every single day. So I tell you, I, like I've been, I have whined, I've spent a lot of this generation. Uh, telling Phil Spencer uh, in person when I get the chance, like, hey, bring back Xbox Live Arcade, like yes. a curated, you know, weekly, regular thing where people know just every Wednesday I'm going to get some new stuff that's been handpicked, probably really cool Xbox Live Arcade games on the 360. Like, I would love to see that come back now with, with you know, not, nothing against ID at Xbox, but things just come out and there's no way to really know, like, what's good and what's not... Are you with me on this? Would you like to see the platform holders kind of do some some curation? I mean, Apple Apple's trying to do this with Arcade, with their Apple Arcade, and that's looks like they might be off to a good start with that. But as as someone who makes independent games, that <laughs> are you with me? <laughs> that here? would thrive on that. Yeah. Uh, well, as a as a consumer, a hundred percent. And then as a somebody that's running a studio, a hundred percent. Yes. Um, but I think it's you know like the, there's there's a, a double edged sword, right? Like yeah. there's for for the smaller teams, maybe they're not going to be able to get as much recognition. But True. there's such a fire hose of content out there all the time now, and there, it's hard to differentiate when you've only got you know a second of somebody's attention span to understand what the promise of that. That game is so the platform holders like in particular really yeah xbox and apple now are, are taking steps towards that which feels really good um how you know before we move on to after party that is why you're here you're not here for your health you're not here for a, a psychiatric analysis which hopefully that's not what this feels like but um i'm just sort of curious like obviously oxenfree has done well enough that you're making another game but but how like how did it do for you guys? You know, you've you've reduced the price. It's ten dollars on any platform now, and it's on just about every platform. But get it, get it. Uh, are like, you know, are you are you thinking? Oh, maybe we should put this on Apple Arcade or or a Google Stadia. Like, are you kind of still looking at ways to? 
to, to keep the oxen free train rolling and and yeah how has it done for you guys definitely um yeah i mean i think the thing that has been the biggest learning experience for me over this whole studio is like as much as you can do that is independent the better you are off as a studio and i don't mean that in a weird control freak way i mean that in like a we created oxen free we own oxen free and now that is a thing that we can pull levers on whenever we want we can put it on sale we can put it on whatever platform we want and it continues to grow and we want to keep building like evergreen franchises and games that don't feel particularly like oh yeah that obviously came out in 2015 2016 and so oxen free was a slow burn like it didn't just take off immediately i think it took about a year before it was like it really found its footing interesting but then once it did it just like snowballed and i think there's awesome yeah i mean it's been great we've done over a million units across multiple platforms yeah and that's like sold and then but from things like game pass and elsewhere i think it's like installed over three million times so it's pretty crazy um is there a switch version remind me there is yeah okay That's probably the optimal way to play it, I right? Would say. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. For me, I love playing it that way. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic because you have touch controls and the uh, the joysticks. True, joy cons. So uh, we move to after party now. You go from teenagers trying not to die <laughs> <laughs> to uh, young adults who are dead. Unfortunately, so. Um, I ask you with all due respect as we sit here with beers did the idea for this game where you're trying to out drink Satan to escape hell did it come about while you were sober no <laughs> no. Uh, no neither did the ferret game from earlier in our conversation um, the yeah like so after party Really, where it started was we wanted to try to build a game that was just in a bar. We thought that would be a yeah. fun thing to do, right? Like, I'm the idiot who goes into a Skyrim pub and just hangs out there and drinks and watches, you know, watches the the, the animation sway <laughs> and Red Dead. And like, I, I love that, right? And I yeah. was like, nobody is making the most of pubs and bars as a setting. And at that time, I think we were about maybe a year after Papers, Please had come out. And Papers, Please was another thing where we were like, what an efficient, brilliant game because you can have all of these different walks of life come into a single location and and have a story come out of that, right? Which is very different from what we had done before. And so we were like, well, let's make a bar game. And then in the beginning, it was just like, well, what could you do? Could you be a bartender? And then, as you've seen, pouring beers isn't all that fun. So we were like, (laughs) let's do the drinking in the bars and then that sort of snowballed and the hell you know stuff that came a little bit later (laughs) but ultimately we thought as a studio that wants story to be the core of your interactions drinks could be a really fun way to augment a dialogue system to augment abilities to augment all of this it's like an RPG mechanic basically absolutely it is yeah so so then the, the the funny part, this is very odd. So there's a there's a cemetery called Forest Lawn across from our studio, and it's massive. Anybody that has been to L.A., it's like, I don't know, three miles across, literally. And so everybody's buried there, and it's this sprawling, crazy place. And we'll walk over there and brainstorm sometimes. And Adam and I were just walking past some giant uh, crypt, and we're like, wouldn't it be cool if you were dead doing this? We're like, yeah, that's stupid. And then maybe two hours later, we're like, 
what if you had to outdrink Satan? That's really <laughs> stupid. And then a week later, we're like, no, that's that's pretty cool. Like, we should do this. And then it all just came together after that. We really started working on it. That, that was a little over two years ago. That's so cool. Was there was there ever any thought to trying to maybe continue Oxenfree's story and keep that going? Absolutely. Yeah. And there are still thoughts there about still that. There are still thoughts. Yes, yes. We know what we would want to do with that if we did that, too. So we're still thinking that through. But, like, I think, you know, with After Party, it is almost like a... It's not a spiritual successor, but you'll see, like, as people play the game, it's not just this, like, surface, ridiculous pub crawl through hell, which right. it is all of that. But <laughs> it's really, like, this exploration of Milo and Lola's friendship and why they died and how they died and teasing out trauma, but in a fun way. Like, it's it's a comedy. But ultimately, if, when people play this, they're going to go, oh, this is a direct descendant of Oxenfree. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about... A game Pass for a second. Mm. So you're on Game Pass now with Oxenfree, yep. and uh, you are launching After Party into Game Pass, which I mentioned at the top of the, our conversation here, uh, among among other the other platforms. So, as much as you are legally allowed or willing, I'm I'm genuinely curious because I actually hear this a lot from you know I host our Xbox podcast here every week, and and I, and I there's a lot of fans gamers that that kind of go haven't. How does that work as far as like you guys keeping the lights on and being successful? Like so how do the economics of Game Pass work? Like you are launching a brand new game day one into Xbox Game Pass. How does that work for your studio? So we wouldn't have even done it if Oxenfree didn't do so well via Game Pass. So what happened with Oxenfree was like we ultimately Oxenfree had come out via ID at Xbox. We already had a great yep. relationship with them. And prior to Game Pass launching, they were like, we want to flesh out this catalog. Um, there are some terms that I can't talk about Fair specifically. Enough. But it's not like they're just like bring it over here for free. So there's, you know, you could imagine that there's a reason why we would do it. And it came out. And what I was worried about was, is this going to cannibalize other sales early on? Like that was the main sure. concern, right? You go, well, if this is going to be out on the same platform that it, like, I want people buying it on Xbox still. But what we found was not only when it came out on Xbox or on Game Pass did it like not do that, it also increased our sales everywhere else on every platform. Because I think what happened was like the discoverability that you're talking about. Yeah. Certainly when Game Pass first came out, it had a more limited catalog. But I think it's the least friction imaginable for somebody who's looking for a new game. So they right. heard about Oxenfree, they're like, eh, maybe I don't want to spend the money on it. They try it, they play it, ideally they fall in love with it, they tell their friends about it, and we got a ton more installs across the board everywhere. That's awesome. So it was great. So with After Party, when they reached out to us, they were like, we've had a great partnership with you guys previously, we structured a somewhat similar deal, but ultimately it's the kind of thing where it's weird, I don't, like, nobody, nobody at Microsoft has told me to say this, but it really is like one of the best things to happen for the game industry. I completely I like agree. It's incredible. Yeah, I think we're gonna, in five years. This will be the just the industry norm, norm and yeah. we'll look back on buying games as a as a probably mm -hmm. a weird thing. But so is it? Are there like maybe you can't say, but are there multiple sort of options? Like, are, are is it like an upfront payout to say like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that you guys are comfortable and then. You don't get anything else from there, and it's sort of like <laughs> right. we're going to make you comfortable, and that's it. Or is it? Is it like a? Do you get kind of a, a little piece? I, like, like I just, I guess, I just don't understand. Sort of for the financial health of the studio, 
what I don't know, you know, without specifics, obviously, like, can sure. you kind of speak in general terms of of how it's advantageous? I think to you guys. Is, so I, it might be different for other studios, honestly. Like yeah. maybe they've all negotiated totally different types of deals. Um, for us, it's very similar to what I hear selling a show to Netflix feels like. So like for us, that's kind of how the structure feels. But it's been. Um, I bet for other people, it's it's different. I don't know. So it's effectively you're 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 removing some of the risk. Uh, you're, you're raising your floor and lowering your poten- ceiling. Maybe is that a is that a fair generalization? I, yeah, it's sort of, well. I would just say yeah, because I can't go into specifics. Yeah. But I would say it just offsets a lot of risk for us in a category that wouldn't otherwise even be problematic. That's right. kind of why we make that decision because it's like we still know that we will be able to sell and sell well on Xbox, and that's the part where I wouldn't have ever signed up for this unless we tested it on the oxen free front. Yeah. But Microsoft has been an extraordinary partner and they're very fair in their deal and that's basically it yeah but like it's like the decision making process for us comes less down to how can we be aggressively monetizing over some crazy long term and more about like how do we just make the right footprint in the right places and when it comes to game pass that was like just it just felt right so you're getting you're getting a lot more eyes on the game which will in turn lead to more sales for hopefully after party and probably for oxen free too. Exactly. Is that, yeah. is that yeah. fair to and say? It's, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that what, what we've found when I was talking before about being overly precious about certain things, um, the same way that I used to be really paranoid about streamers playing through our game and spoiling it for people. Now I'm like, it just doesn't matter. And on the Xbox or on the game pass front, it's like, this is the way to get a ton of eyeballs on this thing and ideally loving it and having it be a part of like them caring about our studio moving forward, right? Yeah. Like it meant a lot for us to now have a name for them. You get right. fans. Exactly. To look forward to the next thing. Yeah. So oh that's that's awesome. Uh, do you see with with I mean, do you see people that play on Game Pass? Do a lot of them buy the game, even though they already have it on? Do they like go ahead and convert that to full ownership? They so because Game Pass can run out, we've seen a lot of people. Then they, if they don't continue with their subscription, they do that. Or what we found is that they'll end up buying it on other platforms too. Nice, so okay, like yeah, double, triple dip across yes. the board. Yeah, oh, that's so that's, that's so been great. really cool. Like that's I think there's something about the size of our game and like just the the genre that makes people sort of feel like I kind of want to own this on two or three yeah. platforms. You want to hang on to it forever. Right, right. And that means you've done something right, if people feel that way. Hopefully. Yes. Um, all right, just a couple more questions, and yeah. I, I will let you go. Yeah, yeah, You're, you're one and a half beers in. This is the solid. Um, you know of. So you mentioned, you mentioned early in the interview... Uh, LucasArts point-and-click adventure games, which yes. are extremely near and dear to me as well. Um, I'm so fortunate to have met Tim Schafer, somebody who works three blocks from here at Double Fine, and um, I don't, I don't, uh, I try to stay professional in this job because I do take it seriously. But Tim's one of the people where I had to, I still had my original full throttle box mm. from 1996, and you know, one of the first times I ever got to meet him, I had him sign the box. And have, have you had a chance? Because you mentioned LucasArts Adventure Games, have you met Tim or, or Ron Gilbert or any sort of of your adventure game? 
heroes, as it were? I don't know Ron. I wish I did. I've met Tim on a number of occasions yeah. now. And yeah, the first time I met him, I was a blithering idiot. Uh, and fortunately now, I think I've composed myself a little better each time that I see him. But no, he's great. He's like the humblest, kindest, coolest guy. And it's very hard for me to reconcile how important the games are that he's made and continues to make with where I am now. Because yeah. like a lot of what we do, obviously the DNA of a lot of what we do comes from that lineage. What? Um, who, who are sort of your game industry heroes? You know, you said you've been playing since you were a little kid in Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Are there are there designers that that you've always? really held in, in super high specific esteem? Tim, for sure. Um, Mizuguchi is probably the biggest one, although that is a he, he exists in such a different lane that we <laughs> will never even attempt to try to <laughs> compete in. But, like, my God, Mizuguchi circa Dreamcast era is probably as important to me as a lot of the stuff we mentioned earlier. It's just that I was older playing that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, actually, that's all I would say. I would start and end with Mizuguchi. Um, <laughs> What do you what do you hope gamers again October 29th yes game pass PS4 Xbox PS4. PC and and what's uh if, if it's if it's not game pass what's the price are we are we 1999 okay yeah. so that's that's the message that everyone should take away yes. from this interview but and that the game um, is amazing it's about two friends <laughs> who die and go to hell and have to drink their way out of hell like we're doing right now <laughs> wait this is hell we're in hell no, no, we're no, dead no. oh no <laughs> I've made some terrible choices <laughs> along the way. Um, but yeah, what, what are you hoping the gamers take away from After Party? What is, what is your hope there? I think at the highest level, just that they laugh. Because <laughs> it's a very different game than what Oxenfree was. Yeah. Like we, we set out to make this game to feel more like a lean-back watch Rick and Morty or uh, you know BoJack Horseman with your friends on the couch, Adult Swim style of thing yeah. on the surface. And then the further you dig and the further you play through it, I think... I guess the next layer after having fun and laughing would be, oh, wow, this touched my heart even more than Oxenfree. There's a lot that we are not really talking about yet in terms of, like, the exploration of their friendship and why they're in hell and the nature of all these various people that are there. So I think there's going to be a lot of surprising stuff in the game. But ultimately, just I hope you laugh and have fun in it because it really does, like, we feel like it feels like an episodic, binge-worthy series on Netflix or something, if it, like a crazy adult animated show. Also, who, and who doesn't need a good laugh, That's right? it, Everybody now, for sure. <laughs> uh, television is mostly, like, Awesome but serious dramas and comedy. Have we fun. Need a have good fun. laugh. That's what like this game is inspired. But like when we started Oxenfree, it was all the Spielberg stuff. Like I said, this one we were like, how do we make a Bill and Ted? How do we make a <laughs> Beetlejuice? How do we make the Edgar Wright movies? You know, how yeah. do we like that type of a vibe? And that, that's you know, we just we don't. There's a lot of those movies, but there's not a lot of those games. So we kind of wanted to make a playable version of that. So you guys, uh, Night School Studios just recently celebrated your five year anniversary. Congratulations on you. that. So, uh, last question for you: what What does the next five years look like? What's the plan? What's uh, What's the hopes and dreams? So, there's a few things that are going on. Uh, one, this is the smallest thing possible. Yeah. We're, we're making an after-party beer. Really? I swear to God. <laughs> We'll put it on this left. Well, yeah, what is it? I swear to what, God, it's going to be got? an IPA. We're very IPA? early on. Yeah, it'll be an IPA. Uh, all right. We're early on that. But that's not the important stuff. Um, we just want to keep making story games, but that story gets interacted with really differently each time, like that you haven't seen before. And I think for us, that means more original IP. Like we have to, like, 
the reason Oxen Free works, the reason After Party works well, and that they don't feel like weird licensed games, is that the story idea was born from a set of mechanics, and the two kind of talk to each other. Yeah. And we just want to keep experimenting in that space. So, you know, we're not like, oh, we're a transmedia company. We're we're a game studio <laughs> that wants to make fun, awesome yes. games. But by the end of them, we hope you love our characters. So. There will be certainly new IP, and there will likely be revisiting some other IP that oh, exists. Nice teaser, <laughs> I like see. that. Uh, Sean Crankel, the co-founder of Night School Studios. October 29th is the day you need to go on your platform of choice, except for Switch, because that'll come soon-ish. a little later, soonish. Soon-ish. Yes. But uh, jump on, play After Party, buy it for 20 bucks. If you're on Xbox and you get a Game Pass subscription, you can just download it. And have fun, Sean. Thank you so much. Thank this you. This was a blast. Thanks for being uh, my first guest at the at the bar arcade yeah, slash man. barcade slash whatever I'm allowed to say or I'll not clean say. Up now. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, we did okay. I think we did good. It was I fun. Agree. I agree. Uh, for more from the best, brightest, and most interesting minds in the games industry, check back every month for new episodes of IGN Unfiltered. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.